The only person that can get away with being an actor and having a lisp is James Franco, and that's because he's cast a, a weird spell in the world where no one realizes he has a lisp. I've never really, I've never thought about it. I didn't know he had a a spell on me. I am also captivated by this magic. Listen to James Franco talk. He has a lisp, and it's weird. I've always thought of him as having like that sort of haha, like Matthew McConaughey quality, where he's sort of always sort of talking down, like he's aiming low, like almost as if he's trying to hide something. Now that I think about it, (laughs) Uh I'm just a cool guy who talks like this, and he's just down here. So yeah, I just kind of aim my face down the ground. You you don't know that I'm listening. Listen for that lisp. Have you guys? Once you hear it, you'll never unhear it. Well, is it a a lisp? I I attribute to more a tongue thing. I think he has like a where he'll draw the sides of his mouth out, and it's more of like a. He's got an aspiration. It's more of like a. Yeah. Yeah. He's got, he's, Instead of like he's, a lisp. He's got like a little bit of a... It's not a tongue. It's, it's, it's more of a cheek thing. Yeah, he's got a little bit of an aspiration lisp. Hello and welcome to Ramjack and the Ballistic Gel Pin of Doom. Hi guys, I am Alex and joining me today for Ramjack episode 199 is my co-host and good friend Brad. Hey, hi. And our other co-host and also our good friend, Jonathan. Hello. Nice to be back. It's good to have you back. It's good to have all of us on the show again together. Oh my gosh, guys. We're all together. We're like, Just a, a, like, a, like a family. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's where we are. Yeah. 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 Except we, we like each other. Family. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah, we like each other. <laughs> We're all under the same roof. <laughs> Maybe I'll get donuts for my family later. That's what a, that's what a man does for his family. He gets... It's donuts for his family. <laughs> I've been watching Hyder in the House. Ah, <laughs> nice. That's that'll if, do it. If you were to ask me for some pull quotes for the poster, <laughs> I, I would offer these phrases. I would I would offer laughably illogical and viscerally unpleasant, <laughs> <laughs> or viscerally repellent is another is another word you could throw in there. <laughs> Oh man, what a uh, what a what a kooky, uh, bonkers, <laughs> dumb as goddamn dirt movie. <laughs> yeah. It just it made it flies me, in the face of all logic. It made me really uncomfortable to watch. I had to. I watched it immediately after me and Brad recorded the last. Oh, episode. you did. Yes. And oh, it, wait, Br- Alex, just hold on, Brad. I need you to understand that Alex has officially cashed a check. <laughs> he has. He wrote a check, <laughs> and he absolutely cashed well, it. So well, you watched well, the film. Well, here we go. Um, well, I watched here we go. almost all of it. Uh, I got well. up to the point. Okay, okay. Uh, I got the check to the bank. I got to the point where the kid is outside and Gary Busey starts giving them he, the advice that Brad had mentioned um, in our, his review of it, where he tells the kid, look, what you got to do is get this kid on the ground, kick him in the balls, and he's on the ground, kick him in his face. Oh, you didn't and even get to the started, teeth kick. Come on. No, I didn't. Because I got so... I, I It was... It was so uncomfortable to watch. I was like, oh, no, she's about to see it, and everything's going <laughs> to... Exp- I mean, everything's going to start falling apart. No! So, I kinda so wait, 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 Alex. Are you saying that you were hoping that, that her and Jerry Busey would find love and it wouldn't fall apart? <laughs> all I'm saying is, all I'm saying is, there was a lot of possibilities, <laughs> and it wasn't until that moment where it, it dawned on me that Gary Busey was absolutely crazy. You know, Alex um, cracked a joke before we started recording about how he likes to avoid that which would make him sad during his day. <laughs> I think, I don't think he's joking. I think he actively makes decisions that help him to avoid too much sadness in his day. <laughs> Guys, it was, yeah, so when I saw it happening, I saw her come out of the door and look at the kid and Gary smiling, and I thought, oh no, I know what's going to happen because Brad told me. And I just, like, closed my eyes and I paused it. I'll pick it up later, it's just, I couldn't finish it then. 
I do have some notes regarding the first 40 minutes, at least. I I, I, I wrote down that <laughs> when Gary Busey moves into the house officially, and he's sort of cozy, first of all, there's a model house, right? Yes. There's a model house that's, that, that's very clearly on display. He takes that house, presumably so no one can find out that this extra room, this wall that's up in the attic shouldn't even be there. <laughs> because if he kept that, if he let that house just stay in its little display case, people People would realize very quickly. Oh, hey, wait a minute! Mm-hmm. I don't see this little wall here in the in the display model. This is odd. And so he takes that. He puts his little wooden doll people in the <laughs> house. And he gives them, you know, the names that correspond with the family members. And then all the way up top, perched like a little crow, is, is Tom, just watching over all of them. But then, what, they, there's an exterior shot of the house. You realize he has the attic light on. And you don't really <laughs> process that until you see the exterior shot. And that's when you think, well, what the fuck? How does he know that at a certain point no one is going to step out of the house for some reason? Maybe they left something in the car. They could at any moment look up and go, well, what the fuck? Why are the a- there are attic lights first of all? Who's in the attic? <laughs> it's just so idiotically illogical. They never hear his footsteps. Only when he makes pronounced sounds do they sort of somewhat get suspicious, but but not nearly enough. The little girl sees him almost immediately. Yeah. And everybody writes it off as a dream. She starts drawing pictures of the Slenderman. Uh, yeah. It, it gets, it gets it's just bonkers. And he reverse engineers the telecom system in the house. Yep. There's a telecom system in the house. Hey, it was the late 80s. Like, that was yeah. high tech. That's what rich people did. We, no expense. we needed that? Definitely. You know, people say that these days we're separated by our screens. Well, I think back in the late 80s, we found our own ways to separate each other. <laughs> hey, honey, you what are you the doing telecom. up there? Don't talk to me. Okay. <laughs> Dinner in 40. Don't talk to me. That's how we separated ourselves. And also, what's with the shot of... Okay, so the kid gets bullied, mm-hmm. right? By that guy who sort of uh, gives him a, a... He boxes his ears, yeah. as it were. Yeah. And we cut to him talking to his mom about it. And the mom is sort of giving him a bad touch. I think the kid's a little bit too old for the sort of soothing fingertip back touching that we're getting in this scene. <laughs> it just, it, I don't know. It, it gave a bit of an icky feeling. I don't know. It, once you're in, like, middle school, which this kid clearly is in middle school, maybe don't do this Oedipus Rex bullshit. <laughs> maybe, but, like, I don't know. There's a Gary Busey in his attic, and there's a Bruce Glover next door. I mean, I feel like you <laughs> There's so much Man, more inappropriate goodness. touching going on. That whole Bruce. scene when the neighbor and Gary Busey are in the house together just ogling the wife or the, the lady, the mom, Ugh. that the, was... The wife, I, the lady, yes. the mom. <laughs> the Whatever aunt. her name was. Mimi Rogers, the wife, the lady, the mom. <laughs> An autobiography. That was, like, it was so uncomfortable. I thought, I wanted to scream, Lady, they're both crazy! Go away! Run away! Get your children and go away! Run! I, I like to think that Crispin Glover saw his dad on, like, the big screen and thought to himself, I'm never going to be that fat. <laughs> I'm just going to be a skinny him. I know I'm going to be him. Like, there's no way I can escape that. But I'm not going to be a fat version of that. Like, how is he fat? What is this? Dad, why is your face so, like, cake battery? Like, it's gross. <laughs> I mean, Bruce Glover really is, though. He is like a, a like um old man uh, George McFly, though. 
Oh, it's just... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so those are basically my, my main thoughts regarding Hyder in the House. Oh, and also the fact that within two... The opening of the movie is... That's why I wrote down viscerally unpleasant. Because it's so strange. Okay, so the little boy in the opening credits, like, we just hear audio, right? And you hear... Well, it's Gary Busey's voice yelling at a little boy, right? Like, I think Gary Busey also plays the role of the voiceover of his own father. Yeah, and his son, I think it's Jake Busey, is... Uh playing a um, young Gary Busey. Really? I believe so. Oh, that's oh, that's so fucked up. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, kid, get in this recording studio with me so we can lay down these tracks. It, it, I don't know. There's something about audio of domestic abuse. Mm-hmm. It, it, ugh, it's, it's really blood-curdling. Yeah. And then, so, yeah, the little boy literally turns into his father because he becomes Gary Busey. <laughs> so Gary Busey begat Gary Busey, which is so fucked up to think about and consider. And when we see him in his flea bag, sort of, he's in that like tenement housing building mm-hmm. he pulls a straight up incredible hulk on the flea bag building's owner chokes him out mm-hmm. <laughs> like puts an, a meaty meatloaf hand on his throat and squeezes with all of his strength and then he just goes oh uh sorry uh i uh i just get mad sometimes uh, it's like no you're gone like immediately i'm surprised no one was like you need to get the fuck out of this building you can't stay here anymore <laughs> Oh, man. Hide her in the house. Guys, it's a, it's a classic. <laughs> Get on it. Yeah. By yeah, what definition, though? <laughs> why it was never released in theaters is horrible. I, it's an outrage. It's an, it's why an outrage. Why was it never released in theaters? It's a classic. It's an outrage. It was a classic. Man alive. Why was it ever greenlit in the first place? Who thought that anyone was going to make money off this? So- <laughs> it just, it's a project that is just so repellent <laughs> and wrong-headed <laughs> from the start. I, it's, I think it's perfect. I think it's perfect. I think they could remake it right now with Gary Busey. <laughs> And Crispin Glover. <laughs> the title is perfect because I can't think of a crazier title. Hider in the house. What sort of backwards grammar leads you to make that decision? Um, if someone says, "Why not call it the Lurker?" Everyone that I've told about this movie, I've just said Hider in the house during Gary Busey, and they are already terrified. Well, of course, <laughs> that's all you need. And if it was made in 2014, it would have twice as much sweat, twice as much bile, twice as much eye pus. It would just be so much more disgusting. I wouldn't wish that movie on anyone. Brad and I are on opposite ends of the spectrum. But Brad, enough about Hyder in the House. You've been reading, which I find immoral. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's your show. I'm just here as a guest. So please, if you must speak of reading in my presence. Guys, uh, I got some. I'm just, you know, I got a couple of books I'm going to run through. I've been, you know, books. It's it's been a while since we've touched on some. And I've actually got a few things here that I, I, some of them I had picked up and started and then put away for a while. Well, I've plowed through them. So I got three books that I want to knock through really quickly. Uh, the first is, uh, The Man Without a Face, The Unlikely Rise of Vladimir Putin. Uh, oh, I thought it would be about Slenderman. No. <laughs> I wish. Um, it's, uh, it's by, face. uh, Masha Gessen. Uh, I, this is, it's terrible. Don't read it. Don't do oh, it. the book is terrible? It's not good. What's so bad about it? It's, like, you know, it says the unlikely rise of Vladimir Putin, and that's really what it is. It's uh, pretty much about <laughs> the rise. Nothing really from the last, I don't know, eight years. It seems to kind of, like, drop. It, we get to, like, uh, the fall of the Soviet Union, and it just kind of starts to fizzle out. <laughs> it starts wrapping up loose ends at that point. It's like, eh, and, you know, like fall- beyond that, stuff happens. I mean, honestly, three-fourths of the book are, um, you know, Vladimir Putin's life up through, like, the fall of the Soviet Union, and then we get to the fall of the Soviet Union, and we kind of speed through, like, him actually rising to power. 
<laughs> it's kind of bullshit. It's like a, it's the equivalent of a book montage. I, it's it's really weird. It's it's very weirdly paced. I I know it's not the most recent book, but it I feel it's come out in the last five years. I could be wrong about that. I want to double check. I, I was about to say, if only there was a way we could find out such a thing. I'm, I'm doing it. Uh, my computer's very slow. Uh, it'll be replaced <laughs> soon. A. Eat a dick. <laughs> I'm doing what I can. Yeah. Okay. Came out March 1st, 2012. Oh, okay. This That's book. very recent. It, yeah. Um, I don't know. I feel like you should talk a little bit more about Putin in office. The most interesting thing about it, I will say, is like, because uh, I, I, I don't have a great grasp of, you know, uh, modern Russian history. I don't think a lot of people do. Because it's, I mean, it's complicated. Does. It is. It's, and also, like, uh, especially with the Soviet Union and Vladimir Putin in particular, he very much is into making his own image. Uh, he really, oh, sure. He, he really wants to be seen as like this weird, tough guy asshole. And, I mean, he's definitely a tough guy asshole, but I, like, I don't understand, like, I don't understand what the deal is, because he, he, he really pines for the Soviet Union, like, he really wants to bring it back. You know, there's, there's always a lot made of the fact that he was a KGB agent, though very likely not, you know, not like this super spy that he pretends to be. He was more like a mid-level, uh, paper-pushing, uh, KGB guy. Yeah, the, Which I the think is line... even better. Yeah, the, the logline of the book on... I was looking up these books beforehand on Amazon, and it actually... I, I was compelled enough to actually add it to my wish list. I'll take it off now, because you're saying it's, you know, a terrible book. But they sort of they sort of give you this preview of his arc, which is they needed somebody to take the office. They needed someone they could sort of manipulate and pull some strings from behind the scenes. And they got this guy that basically had little to no real practical experience. Yeah. And he just wound up being this guy who became much more authoritative than I think anybody expected. Yeah. But they sort of, you're saying that there, there, are, ch- there are important chunks there that are really glean- gl- glossed over. I well, it's, say. it's. I mean, a lot, a lot of it is that he, I mean, he's very effective in creating his own image and only allowing out there what he wants to allow. Like, there's a lot of talk about, like, how his biographers, um, they all, like, kind of uh, repeat the same stories that are clearly vetted by him. And it's, like, all about how he's a kid, he would get into a lot of fights. Like, he really wants, he likes being seen as this tough guy. It's very mm-hmm. strange. Um, but there's not just, there's just, I mean, there's just not a lot of information. Um, there's a lot of stuff, you know, about uh, Russian politics that's, I, it's pretty fascinating that doesn't involve him at all. It's like, we start off, we get some of his childhood. Uh, I mean, guy's just been like the worst forever. His, uh, his parents won a car in like a raffle, um, which to have a car in Russia at that time was like pretty crazy. What would normally be expected, what would normally happen is if somebody want a car, they'd probably sell it so their, you know, family could have money, <laughs> you know. Yeah, stands to reason. Uh, Putin was like, yeah. no, I'm taking the car. Wait, so how old was Putin around this time? Uh, he was teenage, like, yeah, teenage, teenage Putin. So he just decides to take the car? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, oh, his, yeah. His, fa- his family was, uh, there's, it's kind of unclear about like how his family got money because they seem to have more money than they should have had. So they think his father might have been uh, somehow involved with some uh, possibly KGB or government stuff on some mm. level. Um, because, uh, you know, they, they lived in an apartment building with other families, which was, you know, common, but they, it was still one of the better, you know, <laughs> shitty apartments crammed full of people. And nobody in his family objected to this decision? No. <laughs> well, you know, that proves, you know, even from, even from his early years, he, he was decisive and he, he could, he could affect the people around him. They, yeah. they didn't call him on his shit. So we get some, like, you know, there's some, like, interesting stories about him in his, you know, in his youth. Um, but then it kind of goes away and we go into, like, you know, the bigger, uh, uh Russian politics of, like, you know, the fall of the, the Soviet Union, which is, uh, somewhat interesting. Uh, but then, like, Putin kind of, like, pops back into the picture, I don't know, maybe halfway through the book. <laughs> 
Hey, remember me? Yeah. <laughs> My name's on the book. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, there's I, there's a lot of interesting things just about how, like, you know, I don't you don't really think about how much, you know, the Soviet Union, you know, it collapsed. I mean, it's not like they just went away. They're still there. Uh, yeah. And there's still a very <laughs> powerful contingent of uh, of the government and society that is that pines for that. And Putin's like, uh, you know, the figurehead of that movement. Like they they want it, they want it back. Nothing happened overnight. Those people that were you know part of that and that they're still in politics. They didn't get flushed out. They stayed in the system and they're slowly been you know regaining power. Which is really creepy, because you don't think about that. Yeah. And why would... I mean, would it really benefit Russia to, like, go back to a Soviet Union-like format? Well, they, I mean, I don't think so. The thing is, it's not that to go back to it. It's that in many ways, they never did leave it. It's It was all just, you know, uh, it was all publicity. It was all up front. It's, uh, you know, just a false Moving facade. Moving around. A lot of it yeah, is... Move. A lot of the, it's still in the... You know, it's still in the machine, which did is you, fascinating. Did you guys see the, um, I guess, article... Uh, it, it was making the rounds a couple of weeks ago about how the Russia's population between 97 and 2007 had, like, declined by 5%. No, I never saw that. Um, yeah, that's insane. Because they that's like, if, if a country's at war, that's a, a roughly the equivalent of how many people in your population die. Mm. And Russia hasn't been at war during that time, 97 to 2007. Yeah. And they think uh, one of the speculations is that it's because there's a lot of civil unrest in Russia, and that's what happens. Like when there's such a strong grip on, I guess, life livelihoods and stuff, and people don't really have a say. Things like that happen. People just commit suicide or just fall off the pay or grid and just die, which is crazy to think about in light of what Brad just said. Yeah, it's. But, I mean, it's it's kind of interesting. But again, this book is. I just, I it feel, I feel it does a very bad. It's very. There's not a very clear narrative to it, and then, the, then there's an epilogue that I feel is as long as maybe the last three chapters put together, and it really has nothing to do with anything because it's basically about how. Um, I think the the writer of the book and some of her friends um, were really surprised that so many people showed up to vote in I think 2006. <laughs> It must be so difficult to write this kind of book because, you know, I, I have a feeling that, you know, when you're writing with people or you're trying to, like, write a book like this completely on your own, you have the central figure. You know that he or she is supposed to be at the center of the book, mm -hmm. but you can't purely focus on, like, their life without expanding the focus every now and again. So you have to sort of do this balancing act between let's check in on this man or woman, how they're doing, like, personally, mentally, uh, career-wise, and then we have to, like, we have to really zoom out and we have to take in the culture and like how everything is sort of ebbing and flowing but this fucking book is trying to talk about russia yeah. which as you said like their their history is so complex that the book is always sort of going to be teetering on that edge of oh my god we're losing focus now because we haven't talked about putin for you know 80 to 150 pages and all we've been focusing on and the, the epilogue sounds even more detached yeah. uh, as you've already clearly it's, stated it's, it's just it's it's a mess and it's not very well written either uh, you know i gotta say that um <laughs> it's just it, I I did not I I I mean I learned a fair bit but that was uh it was hard work to learn it. When I was looking up the books, I feel like I got this uh, sort of uh, similar thread through each little blurb for each book. Mm -hmm. And I, I want to know what you think of this phrase. A lot of uh, critics say things about like nonfiction historical biographies. They'll say, "Oh, it reads like a novel." Do you think that's necessarily a good or a bad thing? Do you think people try to go for that style more often these days as you read these these books? I I I mean I don't think that's a I don't think that's necessary. Mm -hmm. Um 
Do you prefer that over something that's more like cut and dry? Um, I, no, I, 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 no, I'm very open. I, in fact, I've got, a, mm-hmm. I've got a couple more books I'm about to talk about that uh, I, I well, sure. definitely don't feel uh, that I definitely do not feel uh, you know like a novel, mm-hmm. um, and they do cover very broad topics. I just feel like this is disjointed. It doesn't have focus. And I, I, I don't really know where it's going, which is strange hmm. because I feel like it should be going to Vladimir Putin rising to power and then being in office, where instead it's going it's going to young Vladimir Putin, a fall of the Soviet Union, and then all of a sudden Vladimir Putin's in office, and then there's an epilogue. Yeah, it's like the camera did a 360 and it started on little Putin, yeah. and then it went 360, <laughs> and when it came back to that same shot, it's like full-grown Putin, and you're like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, Hold up. what happened when the camera wasn't looking at him? And I, it's also hard because there's, you know, there's a lot of information that's been suppressed. There's a lot of information that's not available. Well, uh, yeah. But I'm like, you can't write a book about Vladimir Putin and not have anything to say. Yeah, I, I should say that my context for Russian history is the animated film Anastasia. Uh, uh. So I'm oh, coming nice. at that, Brad. I'm sure that you and Alex together have a combined knowledge that it's much more than my own. Well, I'm I, I uh, to go um, into a fourth book uh, before I get the other two. I've just started um, a book on Peter the Great, so hopefully we'll be checking in on that at some point. Oh yeah. All right. I mean, Brad so, and I have discussed in personal conversations about how we don't know that much about or didn't know that much about Russian history in general. Right. I mean, it's a and I don't really know why that is. I don't know if just because of the Cold War. Maybe it's an artifact of when we were raised in the '80s. Maybe we just didn't get that education. But then Are again, you kidding me? what did like, we ever well, learn at school all, anyway? Yeah, yeah, I was about to say, no one's, <laughs> no one's going to yeah. teach you anything at the schools we went to. And they're certainly not going to ever mention Russia in any sort of like exactly. in-depth sense. We, we, Good God. We, I mean, uh, let's be honest. We didn't learn anything about anything until college. I mean, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And then you have to actively seek it out even in college. Yes. So, Ugh, God, but pray Russian, for an elective or two. But uh, yeah, I, I got I got a couple more books here, guys. Uh, sure. All right, all right, all right, all right. Um, let's see. Um, I'm gonna skip to uh, uh, Worlds at War: The 2,500 Year Struggle Between East and West by Anthony Pagden. Um, the premise of this book, from what I read, is insane. Like it is so oh, wide. It's amazing, and I feel I, I feel like there's a chance I might have mentioned both of these two previous books in earlier episodes. Um, oh. Maybe at least offhandedly, because I've I've started and stopped them a couple of times. Um, the Vladimir Putin book, just because it was a it was hard to get through. Um, but this book, because it is very broad, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. Um, the 2,500 year struggle, and also between <laughs> the East and the West, it's not chronological. Oh my god, oh, are what? you kidding me? Um, it's, I really enjoy it, though. I highly recommend this book. Um, and I also, I, also um, I, have, I have the Kindle version and the uh, Audible version, which I, I also oh, wow. recommend. Um, it's, it's, because it's, it's an interesting way to put a book together, because it flows very well. It's very well written. I really enjoy it. Um, but it kind of bounces around through ideas more, and not... Uh, and it's just like a, it follows kind of threads. It's like, oh, you know, we start off with like, you know, ancient, ancient history. And pretty soon we're comparing it to to things going on, you know, with the uh, war on terrorism and how these, you know, threads, you know, carry through and varying things. And then it's like, uh, we'll start another topic. And then uh, we're bouncing through, you know, uh, centuries again. So I, you get a lot of like little bits of information, but you get it in a context 
Because that's, I think that's one of the hardest things about history, is uh, putting things in context. Mm-hmm. And I think this book does a great job because you... I, it, the only thing is, like, sometimes you got to, like... I, I, anytime I'm reading something historical, I usually have, like, some, you know, something to write on just so I can keep, you know, time straight. And with this one, you kind of need to, to keep track of, like, what... <laughs> how, how long a span are we talking about right now? Because it, yeah. it goes all over the place. But you get a better sense of, you know, the history that way, I think. But you do have I'm to sure do your that homework. Does make the book, yeah, I'm sure that does make the book more compelling as opposed to Absolutely. a straight through line, which I think that would, you know, it could still be very well written, but it would read more like a textbook as opposed right. to what this is going for, which is much more, Yeah. what is the word? I'm trying so desperately to find the word. It, it, it's the word that describes when you put in more effort than one might expect, and I'm having a complete vocabulary breakdown. Please help me. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't... When when you're when you're uh, your grasp <laughs> your reach I'm sorry I just, uh, it's ambitious it's ambitious let's just say that it's ambitious I don't feel it's over ambitious right. because clearly it's successful thank you Brad ambitious not a vocabulary word you would find in a lot of advanced classes <laughs> and yet um, it escaped me if I if I can just interject quickly no. um, Amazon reviews of books are crazy Brad you've convinced me by what you've said that I have to I have to read this book it seems like it's a really fun ride but like in the actual sense of it being uh, fun uh, and uh, entertaining see see right there it's a fun mm. ride um and I'm also intrigued by the disjointedness of time mm-hmm. in a history book. I think that would kind of make it more engaging Absolutely. than just yeah. So I can't wait to read this. And I um and I'm not not to say that it like it re- like it does a good job of like, you know, it doesn't necessarily jump, you know, incredibly sporadically. It's just that within chapters, it doesn't feel the need to, you know, go it, we don't start in the ancient time and move to modern times. It's it's you know, it's it's not a, a it's not a, a neck jerk. Oh, okay. Sure. Okay. okay, so it's not Stop Kiss, the history book. It's oh, more of a... <laughs> oh, it's not Stop Kiss, the history book? Oh, my God. <laughs> now, that's a neck jerk. That's a fucking whiplash moment. <sighs> well, Brad's a neck jerk, and I thought of the only thing that came to mind that I could compare it to that would make Brad stop. We begin in the time of the only female pharaoh, and now we take you to modern-day lesbian New York City. <laughs> Oh God, I hate that place so much. <laughs> you know, I heard they're they're filming NYPD Blue down the street. <laughs> oh. oh boy, watch out for those hate crimes in Central Park, ladies. Um, but I, I I just I want to highlight a couple of things I learned from this book. All right, oh, let's sure. let's hear it. Um, Napoleon was trying to uh, he was trying to get the Muslims to like him. <laughs> Aww. He went to the Middle East. He's like, "Hey guys, listen. Um, I'm Napoleon. I'm kind of taking over the world. Um, but I'm super down with you, Muslims. Um, I think it's super cool what you guys are doing here. Great job. And they're a little suspect because they're like, is he full? Is he full of shit? Oh, of course he's full of shit. He's Napoleon. He's Napoleon. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, I thought I thought maybe he did like them. I the because the Napoleon. I I've learned a lot about Napoleon lately. We'll talk more about that in a second. Uh, but like he. The thing was, French Revo- you know, post-French Revolution, when Napoleon comes to power, I, he, they don't like him. They, they, the Muslims do not want Napoleon over there because he's the only thing worse than these fucking Christians. He's, he's an atheist. <laughs> well, yeah, and he's this little white man. I mean, <laughs> go away. And he's, he's, but he's really trying to get in there. And he decides what he's going to do. He's going to impress them with the amazing uh, technological feats. And he, oh. he breaks out some hot air balloons. 
Oh, no. Feast your eyes on me! (laughs) Um, (laughs) so he sends up a hot air balloon. He's hoping, like, he's like, wow, you know, he's hoping, you know, these will really, like, impress people and they'll be wowed by them. And they'll think, wow, this Napoleon's really something. He's got these amazing hot air balloons. Problem, the hot air balloon went down in flames and they thought it was some sort of attack. (laughs) <laughs> oh, oh boy! Oh poor Napoleon! Kind of blew up in his face. Uh, it took him a while to build back relations and like ha- and let and for them to believe him that he wasn't trying to kill people with uh, uh, sky weapons. Yeah, I with mean, his uh, fucking a hot drones. air balloon. Like what kind of? I know this is this is <laughs> this is ridiculous for me to say. What kind of PT Barnum and Wizard of Oz bullshit is that? <laughs> like that's what you pull out. Like God, I've got to. I have an ace up my sleeve. I just don't know what it is. Think, Napoleon. Think. Oh, a hot air balloon. That's my best bet. No, Napoleon. Go back to the drawing board. Well. Show them something they can actually use. Well, he tried the hot air balloon again. Oh, what? <laughs> uh, again, it didn't really work out. How do you what convince them to attend time? a second exhibition? Yeah. No, come, please. Um, please come. Yeah, so I, I just, I love the idea that Napoleon's, he's, he's really trying to woo the Muslim world with hot air balloons, and twice it fails. So the second one burned up and fell to um, the ground. I, I think it had some issues. It, luckily, it, it got past, like, uh, the tree line before it started going down. Oh, my God. <laughs> but it didn't crash as, spectac- as spectacularly as the first one. Uh, and no one is manning the balloon? Is, is it just completely without people inside I, it? I, I'm, I'm not... I think... I know I think he's manned. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. no. I, I like to think that he just sent the balloons into the air. <laughs> it's just, I mean, you know... Uh, just a bad day for Napoleon. <laughs> Ah. A bad day for Napoleon. Listen, you stupid little white man. Come here for a second. Uh, there's, I, we don't want your silly balloons. It's just there's so there's so many fascinating things in this book. You just get a real sense of like how little fucking, especially like how little we understood uh, the the Middle East. You know, before going into this ridiculous war on terrorism nonsense and all of the reasons they uh, they hate us. Uh, because it's it, there's it's such, they have a long cultural memory like to, in in the eyes of you know the middle east there's they're still upset about things that went on during the middle ages yeah. you know there's there's so much of like the crusade and uh, and uh, uh, saladin and like all of these things that like happen that are still very much alive in the cultural mindset they have a which better is, memory. Yeah. <laughs> which is kind of weird, given that it's 2014. But at the same time, um, I guess, well, I mean... Well, because the idea is, the thing is, the, because we've lost the sense of, of, you know, East versus West. Yeah. We don't have, like, we as Westerners don't really have an idea of what that is. But in the Mideast, there is still the concept of East versus West. That's gone oh, on well, since definitely. ancient times. And when we say the West and the East now, we don't even mean the same things. We're caught in our own very, very recent vignette. Like, we're caught, like, within our own little story, right. and we can't sort of see beyond that. And we think it's... Like, a lot of people, I'm sure, would think, that's so crazy that they're still... You know, they're they're taking these, these long-held conflicts and these grudges from so long ago, and they're carrying it with them into today. But it's like, no, if you think about it that way, it's it may seem ridiculous, but they have a better memory, yeah. and they have an understanding of one thing leads to another, and they know what a... Lead, they know Absolutely. how A leads to B. That don't also they know the, the fact is um, the Middle East, the East itself 
is is unchanged and a lot of that is like a you know a part of that is you know just islam you know the fact that that's yeah. that's a religion that is very set on not changing it's you know yeah. there was a the secularism didn't penetrate and secularism is what's changed our society and oh, yeah. if you take that away then there's no force for change uh socially the same way there is for us and because of that you know the history of the place it's the same place it's the same people it's the same story and the same struggle whereas we have re- reinvented ourselves over and over and over again mm-hmm. i mean and also i guess in a traditional sense of like the east can mean many different things to different people some some geographical and not just i guess ideal wise but the concept of the west and east i guess presently the east has shrunk a lot because western culture has basically penetrated most everything but, even traditional places of the east like in china and india but no but no no, and, no 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 but but that's not that's not what we're talking about we're talking about oh yeah yeah i know the that the ancient east like you know the yes. middle east is the east like that area yeah. hasn't changed and that's the thing it hasn't it's it's it hasn't shrunk it's the fact that the west has grown around it it hasn't changed at all and that's but, what the book is sort of doing. It's yeah. sort of, it's highlighting that conflict between, uh, you know, the conflict that we'll always be struggling with, which is the secular versus the non-secular, and how those two ideas have had to, like, grow and push against each other over the last 2,500 years. At least that's what I got yeah. just from the little I've read about it's, the book. It's, it's fascinating stuff, and there's some amazing things there, especially when you get into, you know, sort of like uh, the Enlightenment period, you know, you, you get Napoleon trying to roll over, then you've got, then mm-hmm. you've got like, the dis- rediscovery of the East... And uh, that, you know, and people like trying to understand it and then trying to learn about it, you know, during the Enlightenment period and take it, you know, to France and like, you know, to learn like where this stuff came from. Because there was this idea, um, especially in like the Enlightenment period, uh, Voltaire was huge on this, that um, if we could find out, you know, more about uh, the Zoroastrian religions, if we could find out what these things were, you know, um, our modern religions and our modern stories, you know, came from, you know, we would have we would have so much greater knowledge that things were just wiped out by, you know, the Christians when they took over. and, and you know, in the learning of that, and they had such a, a respect and a, a, a rediscovery of the East as well, you know. It was like a second renaissance. The, the, there's, I, I am very fascinated by the idea that even during, like, let's say Napoleon's time, there was this concept of you could point at certain regions of, you know, the world, the, the map of the world, and we still were basically complete blank slates on who are these people, <laughs> what, you know... How do we communicate with them? How do they relate to us? How do we have this idea that maybe we don't have anything in common because we're still just like, it's just, it's white space in our brains. Yeah. We, we have no idea how to color it in. And like, to this day, we still kind of operate like that. Oh, it's, it's funny. Uh, you know, it, it's almost this, well, it's not almost, we've slipped into, yeah, this Western idea of, you know what's great? Willful ignorance. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know what's going over there. I could very easily find out, but I choose not to. And yet back then people were fascinated. And so much, especially, what really fascinated me was the the whole Enlightenment period where they're kind of rediscovering the Middle East and they're trying to learn about, you know, the culture and, like, the history and, like, the, the things that had been lost. Uh, and that just, uh, because it was strange to me that, like, there was such... Um, you know, an excitement about this because it, for so long, you know, we, when, you know, the Middle Ages and, you know, Christianity took hold and we had the Dark Ages and there was, you know, the Crusades and the wars, you know, against, you know, uh, the East. 
when that's when that changed, you know, and you know, we're and the Enlightenment, we're breaking away from Christianity, and they're trying to you know learn more about the East and the history um, of that period, and trying to you know have a second Renaissance of uh, Eastern culture. It's it's really fascinating. I'm I'm very intrigued by oh, yeah. by this book. Also, how I when and then like they get some of the um, when they finally this guy went over to translate and learn more about uh, Zoroastrianism, and when he came back, um, people didn't believe. He was like, "This can't this can't be the, the what Zoroaster said. This is bullshit. This is mm-hmm. just as stupid as Christianity. What are you talking about?" <laughs> Voltaire was like, "This is clearly a fraud. Well, it's got to be better than this." Nope. No. That is twist really part, weird. dog. <laughs> That's just so funny and so crazy that they would send someone to have a first-hand account, and then when he comes back all that, after so much time and (laughs) effort, for them to just go, fuck you. (laughs) You're full of shit. I love it, because it's like the shit we're still going through now. It's people always want to believe that there was some great older time where where there was just this better, you know, with like this hippie job nonsense, like, you know, like these crazy people, like, oh, you know, the native peoples, they, they really understand the universe. Like, we're always trying to believe there was something better when no we were we've always been the same no. yep. yeah we've just been dope sort of bumping into each other yeah yeah and the things idea that anyone had their until recently things didn't get good until recently i mean come on please explain there was no alex please I'm gonna... explain i'm good oh. <laughs> i don't know i i'm it, that's why i'm asking i i want i i wish for more please um, oliver uh, twist enjoy... asking you Yes, we enjoy much more leisure than we did. We have most of our needs met on a daily basis. Um, we live a lot longer than we used to. We've conquered many diseases. Um, and even though there are, I guess, huge hurdles to, I guess, globalism, we are inching toward that. Uh, we have internet now, Jonathan. I, come on, it's the best time to live right now. It's a right good now. time. It's yeah, the so best does, time to live. People have glasses. Yeah. People aren't blind. Ever. Like, Jesus half Christ, the world fine. isn't blind. So setting aside the comical hyperbole, can you fold that back into what we've been talking about? <laughs> How does that relate to what we've been talking about? <laughs> I mean, that's we what I'm asking. tangent presently. I, we were? We were talking about the book? <laughs> I, yeah. Are we fighting? <laughs> All right. No, I, it's, it's a good book. I am looking forward to reading it because um, I'm always interested in the neoclassical period. I mean, yeah, like Brad said, it was basically the second renaissance. Um, and when not John's just on the podcast. He and not just for Western culture. To... I mean, yeah. All right, guys. Um, I, I, I like to. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I like to pin my hosts to the corkboard. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. I want to knock out one last book, and this is my favorite. Um, I just finished this. It's uh, Vienna 1814, How the Conquerors of Napoleon Made Love, War, and Peace at the Congress of Vienna by David King. I love these long, I love these long titles. Oh, you got to have a long title. <laughs> if you're writing a historical book, you got to pull them in somehow. Guys, this book is a fucking delight. <laughs> So it's the Congress of Vienna. We've we've just uh, you know Nap- we've got Napoleon sent off to Alba, and we're having you know the first like major world power peace conference, and it goes on for about a year, without about ever, a year without ever really getting off the ground. <laughs> the book sounds hilarious because yeah they they were so distracted by their like Bacchanalian parties yes. and like everyone all the celebrities kept showing up. They were like, oh my god, it's got doesn't Beethoven show up? Oh yes. Oh Jesus! Listen, I love it. We have some of my favorite historical characters. Like, if I had to make a like a top ten list of historical characters, which I'm gonna do right now, we get you know. All right, let's let's go over. Uh, of course, Teddy Roosevelt would be on that list. Oliver Cromwell, Samuel Pepys, um, uh, Bismarck. Um, Any ladies, Brad? Where are the ladies? Cleopatra, Mark Antony. Okay, nice. Um, 
And then I think we're going to get into this crew. We at in this in uh, Congress of Vienna, we've got Metternich, we've got Talleyrand, we've got Tsar Alexander. Uh, I still have one slot left. I'll save that for a later day. I the story is amazing. I love Metternich. Metternich is one of my favorite historical <laughs> characters of all times. And Talleyrand. I mean, Metternich, of course, the um, Austrian, uh, I think, uh, prime minister or Austrian head of state. Also, if I may, sounds like a Decepticon. <laughs> yeah. Metternich! I love Metternich. Um, Talleyrand um, uh, representing France, which after, the, after Napoleon has been exiled, Talleyrand somehow weasels his way into the Congress of Vienna and becomes a major player. Which, how the hell, after France has been defeated, does, like, the French statesman have any power whatsoever? <laughs> it's just because, like, He's, like, amazing at playing political games and, like, just getting in the mix. I love it. Also, we got some ladies in the mix. We've got um, the Duchess of Sagan. What's her deal? Um, well, first of all, um, her and Metternich have, like, a crazy torrid love affair. Awesome. Um, it's, and then they break up, <laughs> and he's, like, heartbroken. Um, and there's all Aww. these political games because um, she had uh, she had, had, she had, had a daughter... Um, uh, out of wedlock, and her mother had forced her to uh, give the daughter away to um to to the father. Um, I think, and I think he was, I I think he was in um was he in Russia? Maybe I don't remember. I don't know. It's all these like major world players and all of their schemes and scams. But she was heartbroken at losing this daughter, and so she had spent like years like trying to figure out ways to manipulate her way into getting her daughter back, and she's trying to get Metternich to help her uh, get the get the daughter back. And Metternich's trying desperately, but Tsar Alexander is, like, putting a stop to it because he's not getting his way in the in the uh, treaties. And, like, all hell's breaking loose. <laughs> Wait, somehow somehow the process of <laughs> developing treaties overlaps with someone trying to find their long-lost Yes, daughter. absolutely. Sorry, I won't help you do that because these treaties are really crawling up my ass. Because you've got to realize, um, again, this was all this was all about the parties and shit. Like, it was a very slow-going peace process. Like, there was a million times they were supposed to start the actual uh, uh, Congress, and it just kept getting delayed by, like, a month at a time. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> and this is not Metternich's daughter. No, we, no, no, no. We should make make that clear. Okay, good this lord. This is Metternich's lover. Yeah, yeah, and he's he's doing all of this work to have her get to this child. Right, yes, yes, yes. Um, also, her sister, uh, her younger sister, um, is also um, in, in the tale. I forgot, I've already forgotten who she is and I can't find my notes. Um, so, she's all up in the mix and she starts to have an affair with Talleyrand. Uh-oh. And I, it's just, there's so much fucking drama going on. My favorite part of the blurb I was going to say is on Amazon, they're, you know, they're talking about the book and they say that this is like this huge, uh, you know, very festive and very fashionable, uh, basically party-like atmosphere until, until Napoleon escapes exile and then everyone shits a brick. Exactly. <laughs> All, like, they, it's like everything's falling apart. Like, they, they're trying to get this fucking, um, you know, peace conference in order. And the thing is, there's like the, you know, the four major powers are, you know, really trying to run things. You've got Russia, um, uh, the Prussian uh, um, leaders, and um, Austro um, Austria, and uh, England, and France. And they're kind of, you know, the main players, um, and they're kind of pushing everybody else to the side, which nobody's really happy about, and it's just falling apart, and Talleyrand keeps fucking things up, because every time they start to make decisions that he doesn't like, he basically rallies all these other lesser countries together and is, and is like, no, fuck you, we'll all leave. <laughs> 
me and the puppy countries are leaving. <laughs> and it's like, I, it's absolutely fucking amazing. And yes, and then Napoleon escapes. Uh, meanwhile, Napoleon's wife is, is there in Austria. And they won't let her and her son leave. And in fact, they've sent, like, basically this spy to keep her um, occupied. And then they start having an affair. And then she, oh my God. And then she loses interest in going back to Napoleon. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> like, they're, the sexual politics of 1814 Vienna are amazing. Keep Napoleon's wife occupied. Occupied. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, find a way. Um, and the and the guy that uh, um that becomes her lover is like this like badass soldier with an eye patch. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. It's fucking amazing. Like, does he have a do car? Go on, Brad. <laughs> I, like, I I highly recommend this book. It's a lot of fun. I love how it all it all boils down to impotent men's egos and boobs. It's, Absolutely, it doesn't matter what we're talking about. Absolutely, Brad. Have you ever read like a, a comprehensive book just specifically about the life of Napoleon? I have not. Okay, I was I was about to say if you had, I, I that actually would interest me to just get a recommendation uh, on just him. Yeah, I'm, I, a book about. I him. may start looking into that just because after you know these past two books that have uh, you know dealt with Napoleon in bits and pieces, I'm I'm pretty fascinated. I can't believe he escapes exile. That's just uh, I don't know how you get away with that. Well, because I mean. He was the exile wasn't much of an exile. They hadn't, oh, really? they hadn't even really established rules on like what the hell should they do if he leaves. Yeah, when in these days, I would assume you would just put him to death. Yeah, um, and like they were really congratulating themselves on being so you know open-minded. They Civil. didn't kill him. They're like, oh, we're so proud of ourselves. You know, we've done the moral thing. This is an Enlightenment culture. Uh, we don't execute. We're not just going to execute Napoleon. We'll throw him off to this little island. Kind of, sort of. And it was crazy because he still had, like, some of his soldiers there. <laughs> like, he had, like, a little crew. And it's, <laughs> I mean, it was ridiculous. And the other thing is, like, his, in the, uh, in the treaty they worked out where Napoleon went into exile, um, his wife was still to get some, like, lands, um, and things. And so she would basically be the duchess of this area. And they, and during the Congress of Vienna, they were working out the final details of, you know, what would they would do with that, what she would actually get. Um, and they had just secured the deal. <laughs> And then Napoleon escapes, and she's like, "Oh fuck!" I just, <laughs> Napoleon, I just got my lands. Damn it! Stupid little white man. Uh, apparently, and then it worked out, and she was still she was able to get you know her stuff. But we well, you know what? She had a torrid love affa- love affair with a spy. Exactly. So what more could you ask for? Uh, yeah, it's pretty great. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. So just to review in 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 ascending order, what were these three books? Starting with the worst, leading up to the best. Uh the worst would be uh, the Man Without a Face: The Unlikely Rise of Vladimir Putin by Masha Gessen. Then um, a big fat raspberry, that one. And then the delightful, uh, though uh, very confusing at times, Worlds at War: The 2,500 Year Struggle Between East and West by Anthony Pagden. And then my pick, uh, one of the most entertaining <laughs> reads of the year, uh, Vienna 1814, How the Conquerors of Napoleon Made Love, War, and Peace at the Congress of Vienna by David King. It's the longest title in the world. I love it. <laughs> yes. Alex, before we move on, I just, look, I want to apologize. I don't want this to be another moment in the 2,500-year war between the East and the West. Alex, <laughs> I just, when, I, when I'm on Ramjack, I feel the need to sometimes pin pin the hosts of the show to my corkboard like little butterflies, but I, I don't want to bring, I don't want to bring, bring pain and strife to the proceedings. So please, let's let's shake hands and let us end this, this trouble between our two families. Yes? Jonathan, I... Take my hand, Alex. I won't be out there forever, Alex. I, I, I feel forced to take it, but no, of course not. Hey, Jonathan, yeah, if we were just, it was a fun, it was a fun conversation. We both got a little excited. And now I have your excited. top hat. 
<laughs> no! You stupid man. All this time. All this time. Can you even remember the last time I brought up this top hat? And now it is mine. Mine! And now we will continue with me as the top hat man. <laughs> I Yes, I've been bested. I'm putting I'll a highlighter in my exile. mouth as if it is a cigar. R R R. Ramjack's suffering will be legendary, even in hell. Boys, where should we go now? I will answer my own question. <laughs> I believe we should talk about a young girl named Miranda Larkin. Now, I haven't done this recently, but there have been more than a few episodes where I've talked about basically Alex is enjoying a soda pop and. <laughs> Oh How did God. you know that was me? How did you know that was me and not Brad? I, because Brad never consumes anything. <laughs> you know what he consumes? Knowledge. That's what Brad consumes. <laughs> Breakfast, nice. lunch, and dinner. Mm, feed my brain. Meanwhile, meanwhile, you and your need for blood sugar rising. Ugh, God. Weak. You're both weak. <laughs> <laughs> you and your blood. Now, in the past, I've talked about basically young women's struggles in this horrific world of ours. It's not something that yes. needs to be stated, but it's it bears repeating. Sure. Every bears day. Repeating. Now, this is the story of Miranda Larkin, and it, it goes a little something like this. I'm reading from... This article is basically cut and pasted on more than a few sites, but this is from 17.com, and it goes a little something like this. Hit it! Miranda Larkin chose a skirt that fell almost to her knees for the third day of school. Almost immediately after getting to school, a teacher pointed at her and said, your skirt is too short. Short. She was sent to the nurse who put her in a, quote, shame suit, a neon yellow shirt and red sweatpants that both read dress code violation. Larkin called her mother from the bathroom, hysterically crying, quote, she put on the outfit in the bathroom and looked at herself in the mirror and just broke down. She started sobbing and broke out in hives, her mom, Diana Larkin, said. I actually had to give her medication. Clark County Schools is now specifying that in these instances where a student is deemed to be violating the dress code, they give the student three options. They can remain in the offending clothes and have a two-day in-school suspension. They can wear the shame suit or they can have a parent pick them up. Larkin says she was told she could go home but then wasn't really given a choice. Which is kind of a confusing sentence, but I'll sort of skirt past that. Her mother is infuriated. Quote, I feel that by putting a kid in an outfit that says what they did wrong across their chest and down their leg, that's a clear violation of their privacy rights. If you don't like the dress code, tough. You have to get punished. But punishment shouldn't involve humiliation. You wouldn't do that to an adult. How could you do it to a kid, Diana said. And then, of course, because it's 17.com, <laughs> this ends with what do you... It's like a VHS oh, tape in a classroom. What do you think about Miranda's school... About how Miranda's school handled her dress code violation. What do you think about the shame suit? I love that they fully embrace this term that the mom came up with herself. They act like that is what it is called at the school. Right. Yeah. I the got shame, tricked. The shame I, suit. I thought the school, I thought that's what they called it. And then I learned in other articles that the mom sort of made up this term. Does your school have a similar dress code policy? Sound off in the comments below. And oh boy, did they. <laughs> Let's talk about the story yes, first. Yes, yes. Um, my first thing is, the whole reason we have stupid dress codes for schools is that you're not, they don't want kids to, uh, um, uh, um, oh, they don't want to, they don't want to be a distraction. Distraction, there, thank you, thank you. Other words that that I, that are being lost today. (laughs) Um, sure. So I feel like a bigger distraction is a big yellow shirt that says dress code violator. Yeah, Yeah. Definitely. Why don't you, like, why don't you put her in the stocks? Yeah. Why don't you have a dress code stocks in the middle of the campus so that everyone can fucking laugh and point at her that way? 
It's hu- it's humiliating and it's really fucking idiotic. The picture that they show of her in this skirt, which the commenters have a field day with that because they're like, well, the photo is taken from a high angle, so we can never really know how short this skirt is. Fuck you! Let a girl wear a goddamn skirt without shaming her in public. <laughs> it's a goddamn skirt. Yeah. Can you see her fucking vagina? Go- Shut the fuck up. I, uh, Enough already. I, I, I dress codes overall. I feel like fuck that shit. Like, oh, they're yep. dreadful. Agreed. I mean, let people express themselves with clothing. I I don't who like I don't know kids need to learn to live in a world where they have to see other humans wearing different outfits yeah. fucking deal with it People have different senses of fashion. If a girl, I'm sorry, but if a girl wants to go to school in yoga pants and a tank top, we need to be teaching people that it's not a distraction. You need to be focusing on your fucking book learning. Stop staring at her. Like, enough already. There's no distraction here unless you want there to be a distraction. I, yeah, I I totally agree on all that. Like, why would it be a distraction? Like the, that's I, the question I always I always come that I have to ask people in certain situations like this. Well, she was wearing a short skirt. How is that a distraction to you? Well, she was wearing a short I mean, skirt. It's the same mindset. What does it matter? Are you an animal? It's just, Fuck you. It's the same mindset yeah. that says uh, a woman should wear a hijab. They should cover their hair because it, men shouldn't can't handle being able to see hair. Yeah, There's, it's like it's the same argument. Yeah, well, it's gross. <laughs> The dress code is set up so kids aren't violations. That kids aren't distractions, I should say. Mm -hmm. Now, what we're really saying is women are distractions. Yeah. Men need to focus. And if you're going to be walking around in the clothes that you choose to wear, I'm not going to sit here and say that teenage boys are fucking horny all the time. They're not going to be thinking about the girls that are around them. But that's not the girl's problem. Nope. The girl doesn't need to be walking out of the house going, Jesus, I hope I can avoid the fucking day-to-day emotional bullets that are... We've got creepy, skeevy teachers in the administration coming up with these creepy dress codes about, like, so they can hold up rulers against my fucking inner thigh and talk about, like, how my shorts are in relation to my kneecaps we've got those fucking bullets we've got creepy kids staring at me all goddamn day no matter first of all no matter what you're wearing yeah, yeah. let's talk about do you, that do you want to talk yeah. about fucking dress codes alex uh, we grew up in tennessee yeah people wore confederate flags on t-shirts uh so Th- gross that was fine so weird that, that was no, no that was well never an issue. it wasn't fine <laughs> but you're right it wasn't an issue to the school dress code until later like it eventually did become a, an issue oh. after we left nice. from my sister Did presently you- teaches at the same school uh, me and Brad went to high school. And yeah, you can't do that anymore. Do you think that when you were in high school, at least, do you think the dress code uh, affected women over men? And it's an obvious question, but... Most certainly. You, yeah. The rules I remember in the, you know, the little agenda books they always hand out. And they talk about, in other articles, about how this was her... I think it was the third day of school, technically, but it was her first day or some such thing like she had just moved into the city and i think the family was trying to put this idea forward that they just weren't fully aware of the dress code and then of course in the comments they're like well the little agenda books they have clearly outline all of the rules it's like first of all fuck your agenda book i whatever the fuck that is this little like handbook that you're supposed to carry morning noon and night fuck that shit and it's just the draconian bullshit the rules for girls are so much longer in the books they go on for they go on so much longer for men. Yeah. What what are the boys told to do? What are the boys the, told to do? They can't the wear only shorts. Thing, uh, well, no, boys can wear shorts. Let's not get crazy. Um, a boy can, can wear boys shorts, wear but shorts. Brad, yeah, <laughs> I, Brad, you beat me to it. I was New almost rule. about to say, but Brad dictates <laughs> you can't wear shorts. Principal Brad, um, come on, let us wear shorts. No way, dude. The only 
The only thing that I <laughs> you remember... You can't use dudes. Only we can use dudes. <laughs> Sorry, I'm the new principal. <laughs> I sit on my chair backwards. Oh, I hate principal what? Brad. But uh, he's, he's got a lot to... of things he says that make some sense, man. He's been telling me about Napoleon. It's pretty cool. Shut up, man. He's been filling his thoughts up, with man. hot air balloons. <laughs> Your brain's in the clouds with those hot air balloons. Hey, guys, we're going to take a field trip to the beat. I want to teach you about real life. What? Wow, he's so cool. Hey, listen to him, Jonathan. God, I hate that you hate him. <laughs> um, Brain explodes. <laughs> the only thing I remember, really, that was targeting toward boys specifically, and it was only because of the trend, was baggy clothing. Oh. You couldn't wear pants that were too baggy. And the threat are the, I guess, the, well, I, okay, boys, it was really gain aimed toward a certain demographic of males who maybe were hey, fancy kids. themselves gangster black yes basic i don't want to say it but yes black kids, kids you can't sag your pants like black kids yeah, yeah the other exactly. implied association. you had to wear a belt not had yeah. to wear a belt but if you had saggy pants they put a belt on you which is basically a shame belt let's be honest i'm pretty sure i mean i'm pretty sure my high school yeah we had shame belts too like shame belts were, were a those, thing yeah, there were crazy belts in the office that you had to, like, cut, fucking sort through and pray to God that there was something you could actually wear. <laughs> what are these XXXXL belts? <laughs> I've never seen more leather. Good God. Um, I, I got so flustered earlier talking about just how the rules so greatly affect girls over boys because I, I understand. Look, you're trying to avoid what? Okay, so let's put aside the fact that these rules are clearly sexist. What, what, yes. are, the, what are they claiming is the practical, let's try to better define, well, okay, so you foresee distractions. What you foresee is boys sexually harassing and getting into conflicts with the girl, right? And yeah. you don't want to deal with that conflict. You don't want to deal with that conflict conflict directly this idea that boys treat girls like shit because they've been raised in a culture that allows that sort of behavior because boys will do boys you don't want to own up to that bullshit yet you know it's there so instead you come up with all of these fucking bullshit rules to sort of put it off as much as possible and yet the conflict's there anyway hmm girls are still getting harassed mm, girls indeed. still have complaints you're not listening to them what could be a different solution oh that's right you're not willing to do it else yeah. you just want to punish children you think that by teaching them to shut the fuck up they'll stop talking so once again girls never shut the fuck up ever no just keep talking and if people call it the comments may i just say oh boy there is a fucking user. Uh, okay, first of all, one of the first comments is this girl. It's like, <laughs> she's like, the dress code only applies to fat girls like me. <laughs> oh, she's like, funny. if they're skinny, if they're skinny girls, they don't get shit. But if it's me, fatty me walking around in shorts, I immediately get called on my shit. And it's like, you sound like you have some shit to work through. Seriously, this has nothing to do with the story. Calm it down, Carrie Fencher. <laughs> God. Okay, you can't just drop that name and not no, tell that me who that just, is. That was for Alex. That was just for Alex. Hey! God, that was specifically for me, Jonathan. Look. No, Carrie was a... Uh, Brad, do you want to take this? No, <laughs> this is all you. Because I'd forgotten um, about her until you reminded me of the story. Blah, I'm Carrie Fetcher. Blah. Yeah, it's dead on. Blah. Dead on. Yeah. The woman... Yes, I've got to finish this soft pretzel. Blah. <laughs> Okay, I, I, imagine imagine lame Wendy. Oh, sure. Yeah. Now imagine her a little bit shorter and a lot more yeah. bitter. Ooh. Okay. Like a, so no love in her heart. It's no like, love. By the time she, by the time it was like junior year of high school, she was just a constant seething pot of rage. 
Oh no. That, I, I feel so bad. I, I mean, I feel bad too, but I mean, I mocked her 20 seconds ago, but there's a point where like whatever insecurities you have, if you've been mistreated by other people, it, you have to learn to deal with your insecurity. You can't become a little rage monster. That I think that process probably starts for most people not while they're still in high school, though. I think that starts if it's going to start yeah. anywhere, it's probably going to be college, I, hopefully, no, right? No, I feel like it's got to it, no, because I feel by the time you you're not able to go to college healthily at that point. She was, t- and yet a lot of people do. <laughs> True, but those people are those people. There, she. Got- I remember a particular story about her that was interesting on on our awards day. Um, they would, I don't know why we had an awards day other than, I guess, to rub it in some people's faces that some people are going to college and some people aren't. Um, but basically, yeah, everyone got together and said, so-and-so is awarded so much, uh, I guess, scholarships from all these different schools. And Carrie Fincher had applied to like, yes, dude, it was weird. It was. I assumed that when you said awards day, that that was some sort of like ceremony for what would eventually wind up in the yearbook. Like, here's the award for most artistic. Here's the award for most athletic. They were, they were revealing scholarship details about people. Someone, uh, and a total of $25,000 in scholarship. It was like, yeah, it was like this uh, it was strange. It was like, you know, they announced like valedictorian and all that. And, uh, you know, what clubs you had, presidents of clubs and things. You just kind of got yeah, to. That sounds boring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was it was horrible. And so this girl is there. This is all happening. Well, they talk about her and I guess whatever place she was in or what she did. And they got some of her stuff wrong and they got the monetary amount wrong. And she vocally corrected them like there. Like whoever was saying it, she said, that isn't right. I got more than that. It was more than that. Oh, and everyone boy. was looking around like, oh, God, Carrie. Grasping just... at straws. Nobody yeah. cares. Yeah, it's like no one gives a fuck how much money you were awarded to go to scholarship. Yeah. And I also thought it was weird because I thought I was in a lot of the upper level, like, classes. And so was, I mean, we were, we were they really did separate you into, like, I guess the kids that were going to go to college mm-hmm. and those that maybe wouldn't. Yeah. Um, I don't want to say smart and dumb classes, but that's what most people kind of oh, yeah. say them as. Yeah. Um, I don't remember. She was never in any of my classes. So I don't really know. I never, I saw her maybe three times in middle school and maybe twice in high school. And one of those times at the award ceremony. So I was like, I knew of her, but I didn't really know. I, I was like, no. where is she? What has she been I, doing? No, I feel like she was, I, 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 she was in a lot of my classes. I remember. Carrie, okay. It's just, she faded in to the background because she was, you know, kind of quiet when she wasn't seething and with rage. She was oh, Carrie. Yeah. She was And not Carrie. to slam, yeah. And not to slam Carrie. I, I, I hope, I wish her all the happiness in the world. I hope she's somewhere and not. Totally bitter, maybe just on a few days a week. Mm. But you know, I hope that she's living an okay life. Um, well, I think she is. I think she's represented here in the comments. There are a couple of more examples <laughs> I'd like to give, uh, unless you two would like to continue waxing on this horrifically isolated girl who may, or may not be in a ditch. <laughs> Dear God, Carrie, please tell her name is Carrie. First of all, I really hope you didn't go on a rampage, Carrie. You know, like your movie equivalent. Exactly. Dear God. So there's there's this girl complaining about how only the skinny girls get sort of a free pass when it comes to the dress code. Then there are multiple people who are sort of talking about how, yes, this photo of her and this skirt has been taken from a high angle. And then it gets even more fucked up because every other person is like, I know how these trashy girls act in fucking middle school and high school. Whenever the teachers aren't around, they hike up their little skirts so they can show off their little coochie-coochies and their little bottoms to all the boys. And then they cry foul when someone tries to treat them bad. Well, I say it's bullshit. I know how these trashy little sluts act. <laughs> oh, boy. What the fuck? Yikes. 
I mean, do, are you are you trying to completely retcon your own past? Because it sounds like you were the one doing that, and it sounds oh like you feel bad about it now because you're some sort of evangelical Puritan bullshit idiot. And then there's the third guy who is a dude. His username is roses are red, violets are blue. Um, using my hand, but um, thinking of you. Oh boy. Jeez. That's I am with no apostrophe twice. I'm using my hand, but I'm thinking of you. That's and his username? That's his username on 17.com. <laughs> and his comment is, I'm with the school on this. <laughs> he has three likes, by the way. Well, yeah. One of them, more than likely him, right? <laughs> Thank you so much. Roses are red, violets are blue. I'm using my hand, but I'm thinking of you for your for your scathingly insightful feedback. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm with the school. I realize this story doesn't have a ton of. It's not the most sensational story. This kind of thing happens all the time. Right. But yeah. it's it indicates a systemic problem. It just do we really need this ridiculous outfit? What? So if we have to have a dress code, I'm just going to put this out there. If you have to have something, what is it? We're not going to do this shame suit. If I was the principal of a fucking goddamn school, we're not going to go with this crazy prison gear of the dress code violation t-shirt that makes you look like an idiot. So, like, what are the rules? Like, where do you start and where do you stop? It's impossible. How do you quantify it? What do you say is slutty? What do you say is wrong? What do you say is bad? What's bad? What would... I know there's been a lot of arguments for, like, school uniforms, which generally are the worst because there's no real freedom of expression. But at the same time, if you want to make everything equal, I mean... What are the distractions? I mean, beyond, okay, people not being able to control themselves, I guess, at the mere thought of seeing a woman's calves. But dress codes also kind of are, uniforms also kind of, well, no. I was about to say they kind of make it less visible of, like, the class structure. No, because then there's but a kid you with, don't, like, because every, you know. Then there's a kid you know. that's, only got the class structure. that's only got the one dirty uniform. Yeah, right. and everyone, everyone knows. Everyone understands where everyone So it doesn't from. really cut back. So it doesn't matter what you do. Kids are going to know. Yeah. People are going to know. So at that point, I'm like, let the people do what they want yeah. as long as it's Wait, not so overly... Like, like what's the intention schools... of what you're wearing? That's more important, I think. Yeah. We want the kids to, you know, express themselves. We, we don't want to restrict kids too much. But we do want to teach them this idea that, like, you can't be... You can't be too out there. You know what I mean? You, it, it's like they're in their own way teaching this fucked up rule of once you leave here... You're still gonna have to carry this sort of personal shame. You you can't really dress the way you want to dress because you're always gonna be dealing with this specter, and you might as well start swallowing that right the fuck now. Try to pretend. Someone said this on uh, Twitter. They like, they reposted something, and it, it it had more to do with this rape culture that we're living in that, that we just sort of like turn a, a blind eye to rape in this country. And the idea is that we teach girls this idea of make sure that he rapes the other girl that's what we teach women we teach them to you know carry their keys between their fingers don't get too drunk watch your drink be with friends it all kind of boils down to make sure that if someone gets raped it's not you it's just it's this story is not sensational on its own Mm -hmm. but it very much fits into like the sort of mosaic that we've been making over the past god knows how many years yeah it's, it's impossible to quantify, like birds. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows when we started treating women badly? It's impossible to quantify. <laughs> uh, 
But let's stop, right? <laughs> I mean, can can we just Alex, stop? Please, we're living in the best of times. You said it yourself. I mean, but things are great, are greater for people in general. I mean, we enjoy much more equal rights than we did, but it's not enough in many cases, especially in these. I mean, why are we targeting women in this way? Let's stop it. Let's but the internet it. and glasses. I, I hey I psh, hey hey hey. We can all agree hey. the glasses are great. Hey, Brett. Stop. Classes. Uh, oh, Principal Brad, uh, Listen, why guys, am I in your office? I play by my own rules. He does. What? <laughs> I'm not like your regular principals, all right? I sit on a chair backwards, all right? We take uh, we take field trips to the beach. Uh, all right, guys, that's all I got. I learned all of my uh, teaching skills from uh, uh, Mark Harmon in summer school. I got nothing else. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> what? I don't, no, I don't know what? how to deal with these situations. Oh, I'm filled with rage over boobs. <laughs> <laughs> there are many strange legends in the Amazon. Even I, Ramjack, have heard the legend of the manfish. Brad, Alex, I, I would be remiss if I didn't take us down a quick path toward Lore Whimsit's book, which is, of course, Through the Back Door, Meditations on the Wonders of Life While Looking for That Lost Shoe and Trying to Get Supper on the Table. Of course. Alex, you've not actually been here for a reading from this book until now. I know. So how this works is I have a lot of earmarked columns from this book, which is itself 233 pages long. Just give me a number between 1 and 233. We'll find out what's closest to that number in the book, and I'll just read that column to you, boys. Like a little story. 74. 74. Okay, fascinating. Let's flip to 74. What do we got here? What do we got here? Hmm. Okay, so page 77 seems like the closest earmark. So uh, here's a quick column. And uh, I actually meant to do this last time, but we didn't follow up on it. We'll read the column together, and then we'll try to figure out what, what a good headline for it would have been. Because these don't come with the original headlines. Isn't that crazy? Hmm. It's an outrage. So here we go. It's an outrage is what it is. So here's Laura Wimsett's column from page 77 of her book. <clears throat> I knew something had to be done when I couldn't turn the couch cushions over anymore. The couch had four cushions. One had gum stuck on one side, a soft drink stain on the other. One had ground-in dirt on one side, what? a rip on the other. <sighs> one had a pet stain. Wait, what? what? <laughs> Laura, fucking clean your shit. Yeah, Laura. Why is there dirt on hey, your couch hey, cushion? Hey, you try you raising taking care of that kids. earlier. Hey, have some compassion for this idiot. So, do you need me to just go through the nastiness again? Oh, continue, continue. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> the couch had four cushions. One had gum stuck on one side, a soft drink stain on the other. Gross. One had grounded dirt on one side, a rip on the other. One had a pet stain, you know, on one side. <laughs> a melted ice cream shadow on the other. Whoa. One had a... An ice cream shadow? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. She's trying to be a writer. You know how sometimes you're eating an ice cream and a nuclear bomb goes off and the shadow <laughs> of the ice cream is burnt onto the cushion? Hey, she's trying, it well, was she's just trying like to be that. evocative <laughs> with language. One had a burn spot on one side, but was clean on the other side. The clean side of that one cushion was the place where I sat. But when the die... But when, I went into an Australian for a second. But when the die finally came... That's not Australian at all. <laughs> but when the day finally came that one of the boys cut his leg and sat on the couch, bleeding on my lone clean cushion, while calling for me to bring him a band-aid, well, I knew something had to be done. 
The poor couch had done its best over the years, but the boys, dogs, cats, and all the assorted accidents that go along with those things had taken their toll. I had been unhappy with the couch and its appearance for years, but figured that as long as I had that one little cushion to sit on, I could wait until everyone grew up and moved away. Everyone but me, that is. And then I would replace the couch and live happily and cleanly ever after, and sit on any cushion I wanted. But now my hand had been forced. I had no place to sit. I'm getting rid of this couch, I announced. I'm going to buy a new one. Nobody will touch it. Nobody will sit on it. Only me. So I visited every couch store in town. I was amazed at how many kinds of couches there are. All colors. Every pattern. Big. Little. Long. Short. Hard. Soft. Wide. Narrow. Fancy. Plain. Pretty. Ugly. Expensive. Cheap. But still expensive. Ugh. Anything anyone would want. So what did I want? I wandered around the store for a long time, staring at each couch, trying to imagine it in my living room. I knew I wanted dark colors, preferably in a pattern that would camouflage stains. And I knew I wanted something comfortable because my threats to the kids notwithstanding, I believe in owning furniture people can really use. There were other people strolling through the store looking at couches. A few reached down and tentatively patted a cushion now and then, but otherwise nobody touched the the couches. What a stupid way to buy a couch! I don't buy shoes without trying them on, and I sure wasn't going to buy a couch without trying it on. So I sat on the couches. <laughs> I walked from couch to couch, sitting down. I felt like... Uh, I felt a little like Goldilocks. Ooh, this one was much too hard. This one was much too narrow. Hmm. But this one felt just right. At least I thought it felt just right. It was hard to tell because, you see, I don't really sit on couches as most people think of sitting. You know, bottom on seat, feet on floor. All of me sits on a couch. My feet are... She doesn't sit on a couch like a normal person, Brad. She's not like you or I. She's different. She's a special star in the sky. Oh, boy. All right. Tell me about this special snowflake. All of me sits on a couch. My feet are curled up under me, and I'm kind of draped over the arms of the couch or sunk into the back. Wait, wait. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What's your problem? My feet are curled under me, and I'm draped over the arm? (laughs) That sounds so uncomfortable. Is she looking at the floor? My favorite part is dead. Wait a minute. Jonathan, were you reading it when you said, or whatever? Uh, She she says, or sunk into the back, or whatever. (laughs) What do you mean? You brought it up, bitch. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, Oh, Laura. The salesperson, a very helpful man who had the admirable gift of knowing when to be handy and when to leave me alone, appeared in response to the question marks in my eyes. Is it all right (laughs) if I take my shoes off and sit on your couches, I asked? This guy must be salesman of the year every year. He didn't bat an eye. Sure, he said. I kicked my shoes off and nudged them under a nearby coffee table. What? Why? Why would you nudge them under a coffee table? Maniac. (laughs) Here, I said, tossing the salesman my purse. Can you put this up somewhere? It gets in my way. Whoa, Laura. You do not hand a stranger your purse. Hey, if you give a mouse a couch... You know, this guy walked in off the street. Hey, is it okay if I sit here with my shoes off? Sure. Here, hold my purse. All right. He seemed pleased to be able to help, vanishing as discreetly as he had appeared. (laughs) She walked away with her purse. Yeah, he's a thief. Laura. (laughs) Now this was the way to shop. I walked around the store in my sock feet. 
growing up on couch after couch. The worst. The worst. Are are, are shoes shoes still kicked up under, like, some random... Yeah. Duh. That's her base couch. She goes out from that couch to the others. Gross. Too narrow. Too sinky. Too firm. Too slick. Too rough. Too slick. Too fuzzy. I know, too slick. Slick. You know, like leather. Like leather. Mm. Leather slick. Hey, leave her alone. (laughs) I kind of like it. But finally, Goldilocks could say, this one is just right. Jeez, we already did that. She does it twice. The salesman appeared. Sold, I said. Sold, said the sign he slapped on my couch. We scheduled delivery of my new couch, and the salesman and I shook hands. Oh, yeah, I said as I was leaving. Don't let anyone else sit on my couch. It's just for me. Ugh. Huh? Huh? Oh god, that was it? So what's the headline for that? What's the headline? What, what what's the real headline for that? Don't get jokey now. Don't get don't let your hatred of Laura Wimsett color this. Uh hatred. We love her. <laughs> and hate her. And love her and hate her. Oh god. Um I think we should just call it my own private Idaho. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, she's never even seen the movie. I know. See, I okay, was gonna so- go with something along the lines of um no answer is a wrong answer. Goldilocks and socks. <laughs> yes. Oh, no. I choose that yeah, one. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> Over my own private Idaho. <laughs> what a crazy, like, oh, man, what a crazy headline. All right, guys, that's that's Laura's stupid book for the, I can't believe it. I, I still am in awe that the book is in my hands, you know? As am I. Thank, How many I times like have to, you read it cover to cover, Jonathan? Uh, cover to cover once, and honestly, by the end, it's just a bunch of newsletters to her dead mother on Christmas. God. And at that point, I was sort of skimming. <laughs> but the spine, I'll tell you what, the spine of this thing broke like a fucking baby spine. <laughs> just, that's, this book is barely <laughs> held together by glue. I'm going to tell you that right now. <laughs> but until next time, Laura's book. Back into the nether realm you go with the Necromonicon. It broke like the spine of a baby. I don't know why that was so funny. Guys, it's that super special time of the week where we check in with our dear, dear friend, Mr. Belvedere. Streets on the China. Hey guys, it's time for hmm? that really special episode. Oh, it's the one we've been been waiting for. It's everything's been building to this. Guys, I've been waiting After for this, this since 1989. <laughs> After this, the show Ramjack will be canceled. <laughs> this is the last episode. If, yep. Listen, guys. Um, I'm just saying we have a lot of tote bags, and uh, no one. So uh, the show may be canceled. I'm sorry. Um, Look, Brad, I'm confused. How does one actually give money to the show? You keep saying that I can give money to oh, the show. How do I do oh, it? Just give it to me. Just send it to me directly. <laughs> I mean, don't give it to Alex. <laughs> like, who knows what will happen. Oh, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm fine, true. guys. I'm fine. So many so checks just, just, just littered around this apartment. And I'll take care of it. Okay. Great. Sounds good. But, yes, this is the episode of Belvedere that was... Um, uh, how do we? It was advertised during the Muppet Family Christmas. Another tricky word that we remember. Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, during the Muppet f- Family Christmas, right? Yes, yes. Which is I, has enamored us, Brad, since the '80s. But I rediscovered it when we went to college, and Brad showed us his holiday mega mix. 
And this episode of Belvedere was the only was my introduction really to Belvedere because I didn't really know what it was when I was a kid. So to see that advertisement, I thought this show's got to be crazy. What is going on? And now we're and, here. It's a it's and a homecoming. If I may, if I may, before before we even get into the summary, I was I was a, I was a little disappointed. Oh, I I was a little disappointed. I I was a little disappointed at first. But I then, after thinking about it, I I do quite enjoy this episode. It's 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 not the full Cinderella episode I was hoping for. Um, yeah, yeah. I I just thought it was going to be a straight up full fairy tale episode. Yeah, but let's not get too far ahead because it's time no, 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 to no, no, no. summarize this episode, Jonathan. Uh, the the job is going to fall to you to summarize this episode, discussing as much as humanly possible within one minute without going over two minutes. Uh, one minute. See, I always think it's two minutes. I forget the rules. It's funny. It's funny. It's, you forget. Uh, so it's one minute. One minute, yes? Yep. Yes. Um, again, uh, do not go uh, ridiculously under because then you would be a chump. And try not to go over one minute. Look, look, look. I'll try my best, all right? Jesus. I have faith in you. All right. Stop yelling at are me. You, are you ready for this? <laughs> I believe so. All right. You will be going in three, two, one, Go. So as we learned via a lot of handy exposition, Anatole is no longer Kevin's roommate because Kevin is living with this gal, Casey, and they have a lot of sexual tension, a lot of gender war nonsense going on. Anatole, in a fury, decides that he's going to sort of invoke this Eastern European tradition. He moves in with the Owens family. They hate him and his goat. They kick him out, and he places a curse on the family, which manifests, presumably, uh, when Heather wins a cruise ship through a raffle, but then everything starts to go wrong. They get into a car accident. Uh, George's back gets thrown out. Turns out uh, that Belvedere wants them to burn the tickets, so he tricks them into doing a very racist ritual that cleanses the house. But then Anatole comes in and says, don't worry, that was just a 24-hour curse. And so everything is sort of resolved, and Belvedere's just a raging asshole. Kevin and Casey uh, have dreams about each other. One is a fairy tale. And one of it's like it's some sort of wasp uh, class culture dream. And at the end of the day, they decide that they want to fuck, so they fuck. The end. One minute, two seconds. Oh, no! I haven't gone over one minute in so long. There was a lot in this episode. Uh, you had quite the task. <sighs> Uh, yeah, it's it's weird. There's the the A and the B plot. I guess they are pretty distinctly separate, but it's insane. I didn't realize we were going to get so much spillover from the last episode. Yeah, like this is like a serial drama now. <laughs> it's it's ridiculous. Who thought we were ever going to see Anatole again? Yeah, ever. Seriously, this false Balky in our midst, this golden calf. <laughs> Who is this man known as Anatole? Bring him to me. Oh, it is. Oh, Brad, keep in mind you are the you are the Joseph King of Dreams in in this Ramjack universe of ours. Mm-hmm. So you will be you will have to interpret the dreams featured in this episode. Oh yes, as the Pharaoh, I decree it. Definitely. <laughs> so let's start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kevin, we get, a lot, as I said, a lot of exposition because I think they understand that Mr. Belvedere viewers are not used to things carrying over. <laughs> So we get a lot of repetition of, like, don't worry, just remember, this is Casey. She lives with Kevin now. (gasps) Kevin and Casey don't really get along, and Anatole is not living here. It's very condescending. Yeah, it's it's a a bit much. We've got this thing, we've got this, I guess uh, the super of the apartment is, like, there to, like, fix the garbage disposal. This Goomba motherfucker. Oh, fuck. This guy looks really familiar, too. I'm pretty sure he's played, like, a gangster in everything. (laughs) (laughs) 
his dying his dying days were, was were on the Sopranos. <laughs> yes, good lord, Most definitely. So we got this. We got the sexist Ugh. super who is he's got to get a new garbage disposal, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's sort of the the issue here. Yeah, and he's talking about so uh, you got rid of your shitty roommate. Uh, so uh, how'd that work out? He's like, well, I got a new roommate. And then Casey rolls out on her crutches, and then he straight up wolf whistles her in her apartment. Yeah. It's weird. Doesn't he say something to the effect of, hey, kid, between you and me, with the woman four feet away, you traded up a Goomba, a babushki. Like, fuck it's, off. Yeah. She's in a pink fuzzy bathrobe. She's not in a nighty. She's not on display for yeah. you, you sick fuck. Seriously. Ugh. It's, it's pretty awful. Yeah. So then we go to the Owens residence. Belvedere answers the door, and there's Anatole with his goat. Goddamn goat. Uh, I, I, like, it's, you know, Perfect Strangers does a damn fine job of uh, walking the line, the racism line compared to this nonsense. Man. Yeah. But, well, you know why? The, the reason why it's so different here in the Belvedere world, Anatole is just, it, there's not a nice bone in his body. We get the sense that maybe there's a little more to him, but at the end of the day, he is just an entitled prick. Whereas Balky is just so lovable and so open-hearted. And so white. That... And so white <laughs> at the end of the day. He's like he's like an Irish immigrant, yes. basically. Uh, he's like a character from Fiddler on the Roof, whereas Anatole is sort of like, he's more, where the fuck is Anatole even from? He always says his country's name, but it makes no sense. No, it's this, I mean. It's like, it's, it is so like nondescript foreign European. He's a, is he a gypsy? Is he Russian? It, what, what is... It's inexplicable. It, like, I, I just remember, um, again, uh, me and Jonathan were theater majors, and there was a dialects class, and I just remember there was a lot of people that seemed to... Uh, all their accents kind of blended into a foreign, nondescript European accent. <laughs> and Yeah, like me. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see Jonathan for in a sec. Um, <laughs> and I feel like... I am British. I am British. <laughs> Oh, I, that's that's what this is. That's it's just it's it's so unaware. Yeah. It's shocking. They give him that they give him that harsh cartoonish bowl cut. Mm-hmm. They saddle him with this goat, and right from the get-go, we've got some crazy fashion going on uh, the, directly from Anatole because he's got this crazy. F- it's like an alphabet sweater yeah. that has some sort of foreign magic phrase on it. Yeah, and th- the way I read it, it's. Zavrosa. It's like S Z A V O S Z A. Oh boy. Is this supposed to sort of evoke foreign in our minds? What's going on? Who knows? It's it's so strange because he's like uh, he's so like this weird mix of like Indian, Greek, yeah, Pakistani, uh, Russian. I don't know what he's supposed to be, and I don't like it. (laughs) Alex, your thoughts? I, yeah, I mean, Anatole is weird. <laughs> I'm actually, I was really glad when the new roommate moved in and he was gone. And now that he's back, first I give I, I give Belvedere props for bringing more characters back. The only thing that this, the only two things missing from this episode are Savvy Angela and Braceface yes. to make it everything I've ever wanted. Wesley, Wesley's friend uh, Miles. Uh, yes, Braceface. Braceface. Uh, he has a name. Mm. He has a name. His name. But Give me my name. So Anatole rolls into the Owens house and says, look, guys, your son kicked me out of our apartment. Um, I'm living with you now. Deal with it. What happened to all these weird, and, like, uh, um, foreign exchange student friends? 
Yeah, he seemed to have such a large network. Yeah, well, no one likes Anatole. For the same reasons we don't. I don't know if they really do. They were having so much fun at that rager he was throwing in Kevin's place. Uh, Why why was he having to throw a party? Maybe they like his parties. Exactly. Well, that's true. They like his parties. They like the free alcohol. And by alcohol, I mean like the sort of like cursed voodoo alcohol that they make in their country. Well, maybe like they, out of warm tongue. Maybe his goat's more popular. Maybe th- maybe they're coming for that goat. Oh, yeah. How is that goat not already a mascot on campus from sort of sorority? They do. Or fraternity? The goat gets a lot of, like, camera time. Like That goat gets a lot of tits. <laughs> we see Amtol, and everyone looks at his goat, and then the goat gets, like, a, his own little, like, just a moment of just, like, personal screen time. So it I don't gets, it yeah, it gets goat. Like a, it gets a reaction shot, and Belvedere throws this nonsense out, which is based on nothing. He says, oh, it must be that Eastern European tradition where if someone is kicked out of their house, that person goes to the family of the person who kicked them out. Ugh. Yeah, sure, Belvedere. Is that, is that, a, right. is that a tradition? That, I highly no, doubt it. That's, I mean, man. Eastern European. Eastern European. Is this another East and West argument? Uh, I don't know. This 2,500-year struggle, I swear to God. Seriously, guys. This is how unaware. <laughs> how wide a net do you have? The only way you can go broader is if Mr. Belvedere had said, Oh, yes, I've heard of this from the Eastern Hemisphere. (laughs) What, can you get a continent at least, Belvedere? No, I really can't. What I think is shocking about this is he's like, uh, Belvedere's basically like, Well, you'll have to wait to talk to the man of the house. Yeah. Um, He goes along with that. And it's like, really? I'm pretty sure you can just say, No, get out, weirdo. Yeah. Well, yeah, Anatole says, I want to talk to the man of the house. I don't want to talk to you. And Belvedere, yeah, he goes, all right. And there's this, this is the very beginning of the gender bullshit that this episode is really harping on. Because when George and Marsha show up, there's this sort of fun 10 out of 10 of like, well, who's the man of the house? Who wears the pants in this family? Maybe it is the woman. Oh, the 80s. Am I right? Everything's changing. But it's still the same. Marsha says something that is absolutely laughable. She goes, George, we can't just kick him out willy-nilly. There might be legal ramifications. <sighs> oh, really, Marsha? Really, Marsha? Marsha. How would you know? <laughs> you quit your job at the law hut, all right? You're not... Stop playing You're lawyer. You're a mushroom. Stop playing She's a lawyer. mushroom. Uh, later in the episode, Kevin says something about his mom being a lawyer, and I was like, no, Kevin, your mom is not a lawyer. <laughs> not anymore. Your mom... What is she doing? Your mom used to work for LegalZoom.com. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Which is not a law firm. <laughs> we can give you advice. We're like a guidance counselor in high school. We can't get you a job, but we can talk about what jobs you might like. What What is she doing now? Like, she what, gave up her diner her job, right? Uh, yeah, she's not doing that. She's not a... Is she a mushroom still? Who the fuck knows? Is she on the, is she on the capitalist mushroom caps or whatever football team she was rooting for? Um, she does appear in um, Kevin's roommate's dream later. Not in an outfit, just in her normal clothes. Because everyone else is kind of dressed like... They're dressed differently than her. So maybe she's taking a Freddy Krueger track. Maybe she's becoming a oh, nightmare God. demon. Who knows? Look, there is so much gender. I just remember you brought up the fact that she's in Casey's dream. Marsha is on a sexist bullshit tear throughout. Yeah. This episode is packed with we will sexist get there. Too much. We will get there, Too guys. much. Um, now, mind you, we haven't even gotten to the theme song yet. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's a no lot of There's no streaks on the China. 
No. Ugh. A lot of heavy lifting. I think we're basically there, though, yeah. now, right? Yeah, this is it. So they sort of they sort of give each other this wary eye of, oh, maybe Anatole isn't going to leave so easily. We go into the theme song. We come back, and we're at Kevin's apartment. Keep in mind, we retconned the apartment. We've already established right. that Kevin used to live in the one place. Now he's living in this place, which is a really nice 80s apartment. Yeah. It's all hardwood, floor to ceiling. That's a little bit excessive. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks like they're eating a steak. They're living in a steakhouse, I should say. But Casey comes out, and she puts on a very loud record and starts to do ballet. And I thought she was... Okay, so the whole idea is that she has these crutches. She has a cast mm-hmm. from... I can't even remember how she got a cast. Um, but Kevin's uh, hijinks uh, with the roller yeah. skating yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and the job. Great. So she does a pirouette, and I thought to myself, oh, it's all a scam. Yeah, yeah that's what I thought, She doesn't too. really have a hurt leg. Turns out she does have a hurt leg. She's just being careful. Um, here's... You can dance, apparently, with a cast. A bigger question. She's a free spirit, Jonathan. She turns on the radio, and you think she would turn on music that, you know a young person in the 80s might listen to, but she turns on, like, no. burlesque stripper music? There's a lot yeah. of weird things happening in these few seconds. <laughs> I thought it was a record, but you're right. It is clearly yeah. the radio. Kevin walks in. She is doing something with her ass. Yeah. yeah. Her ass looks enormous somehow. Just the effect of her being in a robe yeah. and her pushing it out as far as she can. She looks like she has <laughs> the biggest ass in history. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think I think Kevin likes it, though. Kevin's well, all like, oh, what's up? Oh, hey, Rumi. He's a hot-blooded American male. Why Why would it? Boys will be boys. I, <laughs> Stop distracting me with your pink bathroom, Listen, Casey. Let's talk about Casey for a second. Because Casey <sighs> varies between being incredibly attractive to being shockingly yeah. unattractive, like on yeah. a dime. It is amazing. Well, she's, she's kind of this non-starter character because... Throughout this episode, we don't get much from her outside of... We, we already understand she's headstrong, mm-hmm. so that's nothing new. Right. We don't really learn anything new about her, and I don't think she's that great of a character. I have a feeling she's going to be around for a long time, though. Yeah, I think I think she's in it to win it. Which is unfortunate. I... I, I in, in this backdoor pilot. I see uh, a Casey, a Ken, do a Jesse Spano. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I very similar. I mean, so I'm, I'm down. I'm down with Casey. And let's, let's be honest. The last reoccurring friend and or character that Kevin got was fucking, um, oh, what was her name? Sad Betty. Lame Wendy. What, what? Lame Wendy. Lame Wendy. <laughs> All no, of us forgot Betty. her name. Yeah, a sad Betty Lame Wendy. So the fact that he's got Casey now, I, I'm kind of like, all right, thanks, Belvedere crew yeah, or writers. Give him, give, give him a friend, too. He needs a brace face. He needs a savvy Angela. Well, God, you talk about a non-starter. Remember his like doofy glasses friend at college, Willie Garson? Oh, yeah. What an what a what is his Willie name? Willie Garson. The the actor's name is Willie Garson. <laughs> I really oh, thought God. Brad brought the character's name out of nowhere and thought, "Holy Carl. shit!" Oh man, Carl's a terrible character, and I never want to see him again. But if you try, if you Alex, you shouldn't heap too much praise on the show for bringing back characters like Anatole because then we might get lame Wendy again. I forgot about Anatole also being the other character that Kevin had reappear. We need we need a Casey. We need to give her a nickname, but I don't know what that is yet. <laughs> caustic Casey. Because <laughs> she sure is caustic. <laughs> okay, so Kevin sees her dancing. She's embarrassed, even though you had the music really loud and you were completely facing away from the door. So yeah. you should understand you live in a sitcom at this point. I'm I'm pretty sure that she knew he was coming home. Like, I, I, I'd like to think that she heard, he like... He came home early. I know, but I like to think that she heard the door in the hallway and was just waiting. was like, all right, I'm going to dance. Uh, the door in the hallway? She's playing a game. She's playing a game. <laughs> all right. Blame the victim, Alex. Can we talk about so, yeah. the, the fucking uh, weirdo uh, uh, Laurel and Hardy painting? 
Yeah, that comes oh, out of Lord. nowhere. It is. It's I like loose sketches except for their eyes, and it's a little bit more, I guess, refined. It is, it's weird. It's so terrifying. It's like the ghosts yep. of Laurel and Hardy watching them. Unsettling. What's happening? Because she goes into the bathroom to take a shower or a bath. A bath. And she she trips or something, and she's like, help, help. Why does she need help? I don't know. Did she, like, hit her... Did she hit her hip on the toilet, falling, like, is she, like, actually injured? Kevin goes in, and she tells him, well, put a towel over your head so you don't see me naked. And he goes, hey, I'll, I'll have you know I've seen a naked woman a lot of times. Five times, actually. It's like, I actually thought Kevin had more sex than that, but fair yeah. enough. Well, maybe he had the lights out and didn't actually see the people. Um, also, well, Kevin fucked all of the women in that sorority, so that's Yeah, so that's three. Yeah. Um, what or about? five, he fucked that cafeteria woman. Yeah. And Lame Wendy. What about, dude, he also took an art class where they drew, like, nude models. So he's seen more than five, I would think. And that girl he yeah. almost raped, uh, does that count? Oh, God. God, we'll get a little bit more of that Ugh. in the future. Almost rape. It's always a fun theme for us <sighs> to come. So Kevin goes in, and they're, like, splashing, and then they start laughing. Yeah. They're not arguing anymore. Something funny happened in the bat. We have no idea what. But who's at the door not knocking? Who's a, who's a couple of assholes that don't knock? <sighs> Mr. and Mrs. Owens, of course. Gosh. I, George and Marsha. Their justification is the door was open, so they walk in. Nope. It wasn't open. Yeah. It was closed. It wasn't locked, but that doesn't mean it's fucking open for you to walk. What are you, a fucking couple of burglars, you assholes? Ugh. The idea that they're going to go over there to check out what happened with Anatole so they can decide whether or not they have legal means to let him live with... Like, what? I mean, come on. No, it's it's baseless. It, it's, the, it's the worst way of overlapping these two plots. And so, yeah, Kevin comes out with Casey, like, in his arms, and they're, and they're sort of teeing and ho-hoing. So, uh, George and Marcia roll in. We cut to uh, everybody cleans up, puts on some clothes, and we sit down for coffee. First of all, mm. I think first thing that happens is you kick George and Marcia out for barging into your place. Yeah. Um, then they apologize for invading your privacy. Um, then you call them later. Why are they still here? They should have called. It's a simple phone call. If you have questions, that's it. That's it. But Marsha, I think it was Marsha's idea to sit down because she is in full rage, like, shared sexist bullshit mode Mm -hmm. because she automatically hates Casey. Mm Mm-hmm. Because she sees her as, what, some interloping whore? She knows nothing about Casey. She saw her being held by her son. Yeah. And automatically she's like, what's up, skank? What the fuck are you doing with my goddamn son? And so, I mean, this is where Casey uh, throws out some facts about her life. Um, you know that you know she uh, she was originally from the pit, but uh, she's she grew up in Vegas because her dad's a gambler and her mom's a showgirl. Whoa. Marsha has a complete meltdown. And when Casey assures her that, you know, don't worry, I don't have any romantic intentions toward your son, Marcia then pulls out, what the fuck do you mean? What's, <laughs> what's wrong with my son? You skank. You should, you should be honored by the fact that my son might want to be with you, you goddamn trollop. It's uh, so... Why does Marsha have to be so God, terrible? All the time, also, George is, like, looking at Kevin like, whoa, and like, are you for real? Like, I guess approving of it, but not... Yeah. It's weird. How... Yeah, it's that it's the supers mentality like go get him champ. Yeah. Fuck uh. off. <laughs> I mean, true. meanwhile, yes. in the hair department, Casey's hair is about 16 levels. It's a split level skyscraper. <laughs> like it's just there's so much going on in her hair. It's it's too much. Too much, Casey. Yeah, there's some shit going on. And her eye her eyebrows um, think, are severe. 
Yeah. She's a severe character in general. I think, uh, I, I, yeah, that's Casey to a T, severe. Yeah. <laughs> we, we cut back to, the, the conversation doesn't really have a point. It doesn't come to any sort of head. I think we just cut back to the Owens house. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Anatole because and Heather are having a little dance party. Yeah, false Balky is teaching a false dance of joy. Mm-hmm. Oh. This golden calf has tried to insinuate himself into the culture now at this point. It's, it's insane. Now, question. What's going on with Heather's jeans? Uh. <laughs> oh, please describe them to me. I, I didn't really pick um, up on well, it. Well, of course. Oh, yes, I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. Yes, first I do. of all, the bedazzled jean pockets. Yeah, first they're 80s high. Um, well, that's standard. Yeah, that's standard <laughs> fare. Um, but then there's like this crazy pockets that are like, I don't know. It's like macrame over the top. Like, I don't know what's happening. They made me think of Dolly Parton. Like, you know how Dolly mm-hmm. Parton would have a full outfit made out of that material? Mm-hmm. It's, it felt like they just resigned it to the front jean pockets. Why didn't they do the ass pockets, too? I don't know. Yeah, but it is a, it's a different it's fabric. That's what it is. I couldn't tell if it was like a... Mm-hmm. Oh, man. And they're also rolled up at the bottom. Um, It's... Oh, manzies. Manzies Patinkin. They're doing this very... No more questions, please. No more... Da- it's chips on. But <laughs> uh, the Owens come back into the home. They see this dance going on. The best joke goes to George... Because Belvedere tells them, he goes, oh, they're doing the native dance known as the flat key. And George goes, I know the flat key when I see it. Like, he just, (laughs) with Belvedere, he's like, look, I know what it is, okay? (laughs) I know the fucking flat key. Can we move on? (laughs) Once again, George getting, like, that sort of deadpan humor. Yes. Um, And this is also... Which I enjoy. Yes, absolutely. This is also where he's like, all right, we checked with Kevin. He said he gave you back your part of the deposit and (laughs) the, the month's rent or whatever. So I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah, he said, don't they say minus the cleaning costs oh, or yeah, something? Yeah. Because he threw that fucking rager. Yeah. And Anatole gets so mad. And I th- actually think this line's funny, too. So Anatole goes into the whole curse. And he it's this sort of mini monologue. And at one point, he's just going, it is a curse. I curse you. This is not fake. Yeah. Yes. Which I, I liked the delivery of it. Mm-hmm. Just it's It's delivered like everything else. Like it's part of the spell. Yes. And I think he spits at their feet, too. Yeah, he too, spits on some, the carpet. Such disgusting And then thing. there's the, the hand gesture and then, like, the wacky foreign words. I, I Oh, mm-hmm. boy, this is uncomfortable. Yeah. It's like, Gypsy Arabian Crusades, Anatevka, Anatevka. <laughs> it's so dumb. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's bad news, Bears. I wrote down, I, I don't know what this is as reference to where we are right now, but I wrote down, Marsha is not an experienced lawyer. <laughs> No. So let's just say that in general. <laughs> true. True. It's true. Oh, uh, I, I think I think it's because the, the next scene. Uh, uh, um, it's nighttime. Oh, it's Kevin talking about yeah. his mom. Uh, uh, it's, uh, it's a stormy night, and Kevin's on the uh, sofa bed, and he's. Uh, what? I can't believe this is this. I can't believe this is the situation they agreed on. Yeah. Somehow she wound up in the bedroom, even though it was his apartment, and he's on the sofa bed. Yeah. It but just Kevin's doesn't like, seem fair. Kevin's like a, you know, a nerdy chivalry guy, so he's going to give the lady the bedroom. He's a nerdy chivalry guy when he's not being a completely dismissive fuck. Right. Um, and there's a lot of that behavior, too. And again, what's on the second floor? Because there's a spiral staircase. How there isn't, like... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like Where another room it, or at least a room you could put like a bed or like a cot or something I, in. See, I think the thing is, uh, well, clearly we just don't have a bedroom set. Because like in the last episode, um, it really did seem like Kevin and Anatole had separate bedrooms. I'm pretty sure they yeah, did. Because, yeah, because mm-hmm. the goat came in and ate um, Kevin's underwear from his bedroom. Yeah. So it's just we're just yeah. getting around the fact that we can't afford another bedroom set. 
<laughs> I, did, we, did we ever see a bedroom set to begin no. with, or were we always sort of relegated to the It was room? always just the living room. Okay, but it was implied yeah. that there was space beyond what we yeah, saw. Yeah, Kevin like came out yeah, you're... with like his boxers that were ripped up. Right. Yeah, they walk past that staircase as if it's just like a decorative feature, <laughs> and maybe it is. <laughs> maybe it leads to nothing. The, the, the apartment is very oddly designed. In the 80s, there were decorative staircases. I Okay, now, I get it. Here's the, here's the spiral staircase. It goes nowhere. Um... <laughs> Uh, I, so yeah, they have like a little mini fight, or they, they're always having mini fights. I can't keep track of them. And this is yeah, when Kevin says something like, "Oh, don't worry about Anatole. My mom's a lawyer." Oh no, he says, "Hey, I'm sorry about my mom. She's just used to grilling witnesses." No, she's not. No, not. no, she's not. She was never a criminal lawyer. First no. of all, she was like helping like <laughs> fake two-headed people. Yeah. Yeah, and a woman leave all of her belongings to a bird. Yeah. That's what she yeah. did. She was an estate lawyer. I work with, like, real estate and, like, trust lawyers. Like, they're boring. It's just, don't try to make it fancy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, God. So, yeah, they have this little mini argument about something. I think Kevin pisses Casey off somehow. Yeah. And... It's the most awkward, quick segue into a dream I've ever seen. It really is. Like, like Kevin, like, huffs, uh, lays down on his pillow. There's some lightning. Casey walks out of the room. Kevin's in a dream. Yeah. He hits he goes to sleep instantly. so quickly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah perfect REM yeah. sleep. It's almost, it's almost like a lucid dream. Like, he's manipulating it from within. He's like, I'm in a dream. I can do whatever I want now. Yes. <laughs> uh, so this, this is, is it. it I guys. mean, this is what... Uh. The commercials trick you into thinking this is the entire episode, when in reality, this is like, what, maybe two minutes? Yeah. I know. Uh, it's, if it, that... It was upsetting, because I was really hoping we would get a full Cinderella <sighs> episode. So we've got Belvedere in this crazy costume. Think about how much time they must have put into this crazy stepmother costume. Uh, yeah, because he's on lifts; mm-hmm. like he's much taller than usual. Yeah, the layers. I mean, the, I how did you get even get this man in this costume? It must have taken some time. And the wig. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah, the wig is. It's actually a. Really, it looks like he's right off the set of Into the yeah. Woods. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's actually very much in keeping with that design. And uh, Casey as Cinderella too is is also in that same style. Casey is um, super foxy. Yep. Oh, so you suddenly swung back yes. around? Yeah. <laughs> Meow. Uh, so they, they trade these sort of... It's kind of Shakespearean dialogue. It's it's weird. It's not fairy tale in, in what you would expect. Because at one point, Belvedere barks something as the stepmother. And Casey goes, Me thinks an extra Y chromosome got over the fence. <laughs> she looks right into the camera for that, by yeah. the way. They're both doing little asides. It's, it's very strange. I don't. I didn't hear Belvedere's because the audience was laughing too hard mm. or too loudly, and I couldn't hear what he said. But I did pick up the y, extra Y chromosome mm. thing and thought, he why? Keeps, he keeps calling her like a wench. Just a lot yeah. of variations on, "Ooh, my scullery maid. Ooh, clean up that spot. You missed a spot. You wretched witch." <laughs> that's I in this commercial full set, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Brad's favorite commercial. Oh, Who says that Brad and Alex live in the past? Oh. <laughs> no one. <laughs> Love it so much. Uh, of course, what does Anatole play in this little playlet of Kevin's dreamscape? Uh, the servant. Yes. Yeah. Racist. Hear ye, hear ye. Here comes the prince. Yeah. The prince of charming. Yes. Kevin Which jumps in. Great. Uh, he smiles, and there's like a ding. Like a little shimmer that reflects off of his teeth. Have um, we done that gag before? There's been a gleaming teeth dream sequence moment, right? Surely. Uh, if not here. Now that you say it. It's not yeah. here somewhere. I kn- it's the one where Wesley has to get headgear. Yes. Because the other kids put mm-hmm. their heads together and they go, but our teeth are so clean. Ding! 
So stop using that. You've done it twice. That's yeah, enough. that's yeah. Once is more than enough. Um. So, but Kevin comes in and says, "Look, I'm gonna save. I'm gonna save you from this." And um, the dream. Um. Oh, I've totally blanked on her name suddenly. Casey. 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 The dream. Casey. Cinderella. Casey says, "I don't need a man to save me." And then Belvedere kind of like forces his body onto Kevin <laughs> for some weird reason and is scolding yeah. him. You pick up that spot or something. I have no idea. Yeah. And that's when Kevin wakes up when he's caught between uh, Lady Belvedere and um, Casey Cinderella. And, and that's basically yeah. Yeah. Well, he's awoken by Casey. Right. She's like, Kevin. Oh no, the storm. It's too scary. I need to come sleep on the couch with you, but no funny Her business. Character. No, I hate... This is the moment where I realized Casey is just a terribly conceived character. It hurt... The writing for this gender politic bullshit of how they're trying to figure each other out is so fucking yeah. chaotic. Can we please write a character... She's scared of the thunder. That's the choice you made for this character, who's so normally strong and independent. Isn't it funny how she's scared of thunder like a little I, girl? I'm telling you, that is... Casey is Jesse Spano. Yeah. I, I will say, Jonathan, you hit it on the head when you said um, the weird kind of gender discovering who they are, like who the other is, like sexually or through a gender, is weird. And I guess that happened a yeah. lot in the 80s. That's kind of like a strange, I guess, trope uh, in sitcoms. It's They strange. act like it's complicated. Like yeah. this idea, like men and women figuring each other out for the first time. It's so weird. It's just a matter of respect. Why is this show acting like it's yeah. so difficult? Yeah. Like, sometimes she's kind of a bitch. Kevin's an asshole. Just be nice to each other. Grow up and shut up. Yeah. There's nothing here, and there's certainly no chemistry or romantic tension. Up uh, at this point, I don't see it at all. Neither. Yeah. I, I don't see why we're supposed to put these two together in our minds. It's it's dumb. But I think it is weird. Also, in kind of sex, is the dreams that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, Kevin's obviously being the prince charming that saves the scullery maid. Um, Casey has a dream later, which we'll get yeah, to. We'll get That's to like, yeah. but yeah. So ultimately, Casey is like, you know what? I'm just gonna sleep on my own bed because I don't need a man. And then all of a sudden, lightning strikes and she jumps into Kevin's arms. And Kevin's See? like, whoa, what's happening? This girl is so weird. Girls are strange. It's that sexist bullshit of like the writers in the room going, yeah, women say they want to be independent. But who's got to crush the spider in the bathroom at the end of the day? That's right, the man of the house. Shut up. Yeah, yeah. stupid, dumb. Someone got through 20 pages of the Heidi Chronicles, and now they think they know what feminism is. <laughs> so we, we the scene cuts back, and it's the next day, right, at the Owens mm-hmm. household, and Heather has struck... She's had a good bit of luck, has she not? Mm. <laughs> it's true, she has. She's struck so. a good um, bit of luck. Yes, I'm sorry, I... I'm really tired right now, <laughs> so I'm, I'm trying to. Tired. I'm trying. We're trying to get through this, guys. Um, so Heather has won tickets uh, for a. It's a cruise, correct? Indeed. Yes. Yes. She entered a raffle and at the mall, and she won. And she can only take one other person. George and Marsha. I just kept writing down. I'm not kidding. Every other line was this character is an asshole. This character is an Seriously. asshole. Seriously. George and Marsha are like, oh, Heather. Two tickets? You're so sweet, a second honeymoon. And she's like, oh, 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 is that what you thought I was doing? You two are so selfish. And Yeah, I'm and, worst parents ever. Yeah, and it's, and it's not just that, like, you could do that as a, I would let that pass as, like, a quick joke. And then Heather's like, what are you talking about? No, these are my tickets. But Marsha remains angry that she's not, that the tickets are not hers. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, it's not like she says to Heather, "Oh well, maybe I could go with you." No, it's either give me and George the tickets or go fuck yourself. Yeah. Also, it, which also is also Marsha's outfit. Marsha's outfit, guys. Oh, please describe. All right, 
What we've got is some khaki pleated pants with a giant belt. Um, they're super high, of course. Um, then she's she's got like a green turtleneck with this weird long sleeve purple thing on top of it that's tucked in, but it's also like open like almost all the way down. It is goofy. It's a strong contender, I'm sure, for, for worse right. dress. Strong Absolutely. contender. Absolutely. Uh, but, I mean, what what the hell? First of all, can you let an underage girl win a cruise? Can that happen? I don't know if you can. The whole thing I think she fishy. would have I, to take an adult if she won. Yeah. I, don't, right? I thought it was going to be revealed that the whole thing was a scam. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. Yeah. Because I was like, this too good to be screw. She's getting taken advantage of. This is the curse. I mean, that's where the story's mm-hmm. going. Yeah, we're clearly heading down that road. Uh, but we, we sort of... Uh, these scenes all seem to end with, <laughs> without any sort of... There's no catapulting into the next beat. They all just sort of stop. Well, this has gongs. Because <laughs> they're all fighting, yeah. and Belvedere like, like, goes to a gong. Oh, right. <laughs> because why not? Uh, season five, Belvedere rings season a gong. Five. Everyone's fighting. He's like, "All right, round two. Uh, we'll be after dinner. Gong, gong. Laugh, laugh. Next scene." <laughs> oy, oy, oy. Uh, how does Casey fall asleep? All right, so Kevin's about to go to a college party. Oh yeah. And he's like, "Hey, Casey. You know, uh, we slept together last night. Uh, you want to come to a, this college party?" And she's like, uh, "No way. It sounds boring." And he's like, "Fuck you, then." <laughs> he gets so mad. And, and she sort of implies, oh, I don't really, I don't think I'd fit in with that crowd. Yeah. And a reasonable human being would think to themselves, oh, you know, Casey didn't go to school. She probably feels out of place. And maybe she has this sort of chip on her shoulder because she thinks other people feel better, feel better than her. Well, it's like this. Or feel above her. Yeah, it's the whole thing that we dealt with her on, you know, in the last step where she's just all like, ah, yeah. oh, college boy, you come in here taking our jobs. I'm a blue collar worker. I have to work for everything that's mine. Blah, blah, blah. You college kids. You think you're so great. I don't, I didn't have the opportunity. How old is she? Is she supposed to be Kevin's age or a little bit older? I think she's, like, maybe a little bit older, but roughly around the same age. Yeah. So she could technically, she would be considered, like, a college-age student, even if she's not in school. Yeah. Yeah, so it's this idiotic thing of, she clearly does want him to, she does want to go to the party, but she's being stubborn. I'm too too busy being the subject of a Billy Joel song. Oh, <laughs> okay, uh, sure. I'm just a hard, I'm a, I'm a hard as nails blue collar worker just trying to get by in the city. Anthony worked in a grocery store, <laughs> saving his pennies for someday. Uh, he leaves. She immediately falls asleep. Yeah. And she sits on that couch like Laura Wimsett sits on a couch. <laughs> Who sits on a couch like that to take a nap? That's crazy. Or whatever. Her, she slides almost entirely off the couch. Yeah. Feet tucked in underneath. Just throw, kicks her shoes underneath the coffee table instantly without even and, asking. Oh, disgusting. Her stocking feet. Is there something with this couch that they both just immediately fall to ram like the second they... Like, I'm yes. beginning to wonder there's something up with the couch, maybe. There's a gas leak right <laughs> above the couch. Mm-hmm. Yes. pushes you into that world. Her dream is basically she is a raging bimbo. In this moment, she reminded me of the actress character in the college yeah, years of Save yeah. by yes. Yes. Yeah. And, and in the worst way possible. But even so, but so she, Foxier, she's playing like a bimbo. You still thought she looked good in that scene? She looks good in yes. the dress. Her hair is equally tiered as Jonathan mentioned earlier. I'm okay with like her, her hair, hair is really worse. Bad. It's a mess at this at this point. In this which is odd that in her own dream sequence her hair is She looks like so atrociously she bad. She looks like uh, um mm-hmm. Sigourney Weaver in Ghostbusters. <laughs> Holy shit. She does look That's like Sigourney Weaver in Ghostbusters. 
Zool is coming. Uh, so, yeah, Casey's playing, like, Adelaide's Lament full-on yeah. guys and dolls. Yeah. Like, oh, gee, you want any cheese puffs? Cuckoo, cachoo. And oh, Anatole, inex- I, I'm surprised, I have got to stop saying inexplicably, Anatole is not playing the butler. <laughs> He's actually allowed to be a party guest in this dream sketch. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, good for Casey. She doesn't see Anatole as a servant, unlike Kevin. Uh, the dream is dumb and doesn't really go anywhere. No, everyone's... It's, well, it's this weird, like, posh college uh, party I, where everyone's yeah. just, like, talking about literature and smoking pipes and wearing glasses. And I... What? <laughs> Kevin, you know the position of the head of the English department just opened up. Can we expect like everyone's talking like that? Yeah, but I mean, what we draw my away daughter from Muffy it. and my wife Muffy and my dog Muffy. What, what, but what we get from it is that she feels insecure, like she can't be in a relationship with Kevin because he's a college boy and she's nothing but a bimbo from the streets working hard at that blue-collar job, <laughs> keeping those guys in line at the uh, the toilet plant. What is it? The, the Yeah. I don't, the, the plumbing. The plumbing supply company. <laughs> the plumbing supply company. Down on Skid Also, Row. we learn, yes, also we learn that... Bottle of red, <laughs> bottle of white... Whatever uh, is seems to fit your appetite. Um, so, but we also discover that uh, Marsha may be moonlighting as a nightmare demon because she appears in her dream uh, wearing what she was wearing that day and not in character with everyone else. Like no, straight up, all. straight up, not like oh, you know. I thought we were going to the country club later and talk about your next semester. Uh, no, she comes in like oh, also you're a bimbo. Yeah, and there like just, just yeah, straight up, everyone's just chanting bimbo at her, and it's crazy. Bambo, bambo, a bambo. I some of them say it weird. <laughs> she starts slamming her head against the coffee table, like no, no, I got bambo get out of here. round heels. This ain't a sing along. <laughs> oh no! She wakes when up. Gonna, when are we gonna watch that TV if show? I could, God, I, I wish could we could find it. I would watch every fuck episode. Does she wake up to the super like knocking on the door? Yes. I actually don't. Yeah, okay, yeah. This is the next part of my notes, at least. Like, so Goomba oh shows boy. up, and so he's clearly dressed to rape. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he is. He's got he's more ready gold to chains. Oh, he's got at least three gold chains around his neck, right? Yeah. Like an open collar down to, like, right above his belly button, purple shirt, unbuttoned, hairy chest, disgusting gold chains. He's ready to s- just assault he, her. He, he has the new garbage disposal with, like, a ribbon on it. Ugh. Hey, I stayed up making fixing this for you, doll. Yeah, and he's already pulling that entitled shit of like, you already know he's gonna later be like, hey, I fucking gave you this. Now you give me yeah. something, yeah. you fucking bitch. Let's go to the couch. I hit his. I hit his a gas leak. Hey, what's up? Bada-bing, I can't breathe through my nose, so it won't affect me. <laughs> <laughs> my wife doesn't understand me, but I know you do, huh, doll? She's like, yeah. I think we have the same problem. Right. Yeah. And then Kevin rolls in and says, what the fuck's going on? And he says, hey, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do it. And he's like, get the fuck out of here. And she's like, Kevin. And he's all like, what did no, you say? She's, she, she doesn't get upset. He goes, well, I'm glad. I bet you're glad I showed up, huh? And she goes, what the fuck do you mean? I could have fucking handled that situation myself. And he goes, oh, yeah, right. That's, Great, Kevin. Great yeah, job. Yeah. And that's where it ends, right? At least that scene, yeah. correct? Uh, yeah, because there's... That's where time and <laughs> space... That's where it all ends. That's where everything... <laughs> then the cataclysm happened. The, the Alex the placed the gun in his mouth and pulled the trigger. And that's when... Goodbye! <laughs> so... Oh. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, so... They, Kevin's like, uh, oh, well, apparently, I guess, yeah. You keep saying you can take care of everything yourself, so fuck you. And then he storms out. <laughs> 
Uh, um, we go back to the Owens house, and all hell is broken loose in everyone's lives. Yeah, the the yeah. The, the plagues of ancient Egypt have come down on this yeah. on this house. George's back is out, so Belvedere is walking on his back, uh, wearing sneakers. <laughs> <laughs> So it hurts even more than it probably should because Belvedere's an asshole. Heather and Marcia show up. Heather was shopping for this cruise. I don't even understand who's going to go with her at this point. I Maybe Marcia because they were shopping together. Seemingly. Heather forgot she was wearing a bikini and walked out of the store, somehow set off the alarm system, and the guard tried to take it off her and she punched him. As she should have. Which means she got, a, she got arrested for assault. Yeah, that was weird. I feel... Security guard like should take been off ass- the bathing suit you stole. Yeah, I feel like somebody else should have gotten arrested for assault when they tried to take the bikini off of an underage girl. That and Heather, you do not shoplift. Don't do it. Yeah, Heather, you forgot you were wearing a bikini. Did you, Heather? Well, it's just like, you know, it's just like I'm wearing my bra and panties, Dad. It's no big deal. I just forgot about it. And I walked mm-hmm. out, and they caught me. So, sounds like someone didn't have enough money and wanted that bikini. Yeah. That's just my theory. <laughs> Jonathan, oh, and then... <laughs> good. Yes? I was going to say, uh, could you say bikini again? Because the way you said that was... Bikini. <laughs> Okay. Then they got into a goddamn car accident because the good humor truck backed into them. Which Eskimo is Eskimo pies flew all over the street. Which is, if you haven't picked up, something bad has happened to everyone, and that's what's that's the bad thing that happened to Belvedere, right? That he missed out on all this free food just spilling into the street. The implication being that Belvedere would eat Eskimo pies off the street if given the opportunity, <laughs> because ha ha ha, he's fat. Also, uh, um, he's got that sweet tooth. Yeah, and Wesley's bike was in the back of the car that got hit. And I just put a stereo on that bike. What? <laughs> How does that work? Um, so now um, Heather's like, guys, this is ridiculous. It's not the curse. That's ridiculous. I mean, we're not cursed. And then the television starts to smoke and spark. So Belvedere, along with the rest of the family, is terrified. So he has a book of curses that he is studying up in the backyard Mm -hmm. as Kevin rolls up and says, Belvedere, what's up with this broad? I'm living with her. I don't understand. I got these weird feelings. I have like this tingly feeling in my stomach. I, I don't know. I feel lightheaded and eager to please around her and she's my roommate like what's going on and belvedere uh basically says dude you're in love deal with it i gotta deal with this curse (laughs) i gotta learn some mad science slash voodoo and fix this curse on the family we should point out it's not a book of curses it's literally the butler's guide to hex removal oh yes someone designed a dust jacket for a fake book and we should also say that belvedere's advice comes in the form of musical theater Mm -hmm. lyrics from the music yes yeah that's are there birds on the hill that you never heard winging? It's like, ugh, what are we doing? And yeah, that's his advice. It's terrible advice. Yeah. Like, Kevin, you are in love. Don't you get it? No, Belvedere, that's not what's happening. You need I, to be better at this. Be Belvedere. better at your job. In, in Belvedere's defense, they are fighting a hex. They're fighting magic. So, it, Also, in Belvedere's defense, Kevin's like, oh, yeah, that explains everything. <laughs> <laughs> so, and he, Yeah, he's dispatched Kevin back to his house. Kevin goes back home. He needs to tell Casey something. As he opens the door, an aroma hits his face. She's been making dinner. So he, he goes into the apartment, and there's two glasses just brimming full of milk already on the table. <laughs> it's really disgusting. <laughs> and, yeah, he says to her, oh, uh, what are you doing? And she's like, oh, I'm, I'm making dinner. I made enough for two. And he immediately, upon sitting down, makes fun of the food she has prepared. Yeah. He's like, oh, say hello to Chef Boyardee for me. And she's like, oh, uh, excuse me? <laughs> what is wrong with you, you lunkhead? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> 
And she goes, hey, I learned how to take care of myself. And he goes, God, I know you tell me that all the time. Yeah, mock her independence, Kevin. That's really going to help this situation. This episode is... These two are insufferable. They really are. (laughs) I hate them together. I just hate them. Oh. But I did write down, to be fair, what is she serving with this nasty-ass pasta? Whole milk? <laughs> I I mean... That's, it's the most 80s thing in the world. That is the largest really glass is. of milk I've ever fucking seen in my life. And, yeah, he, he says something to her to the effect of, hey, did you ever realize that you should have real, realized something earlier? Then you realized it? I'm a big dum-dum? She goes, what are you talking about? And he plants one on her, boys. Yeah. He plants one on Yikes. her. Yikes. Because that's what a woman needs at the end of the day. Action. Action, not words. Yikes. Kisses. Also, after, she looks 45 in this scene. Yeah, she looks... Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, she's kind of playing to the antiquated nuclear family. I'm gonna cook dinner for everyone kind of thing. Uh, and put giant glasses of milk uh, on the fucking table. Um, but when she, when they pull away from each other, she says, Well, I could have told you that. And I guess it's supposed to be romantic, but it just kind of re... It comes off weird. It comes off real weird. Yeah. It's like Kevin tamed a horse. You know what I mean? <laughs> it is. It's like, she, it's like, yeah, she bucked and she fretted and she fumed. But at the end of the day, you just got to show them what's what. And yeah. then they shut the fuck up. I could have told you that. Instead of the Cinderella, why didn't we go Taming of the Shrew? Yeah. It's too, it's too smart. It's yeah, too and smart. no one would have gotten that. Everyone, everyone knows Cinderella. No one knows Taming of the Shrew. Think about the real people, the yeah. real people watching Those blue-collar people that are, like, feeling uh, Casey's plight. Um, but then the, Kevin says something like, so where does that leave us? And she says, well, I don't know, but you're still going to sleep on the couch until we figure it out. And Kevin's like, <laughs> oh, no, I guess I haven't tamed this horse yet. <laughs> And that's the compromise. We, You know, maybe Mars and Venus aren't as far apart as we thought, but they are still two distinct planets, and we should consider ourselves not equal. <laughs> so, Cut to a yes. joke that I'm sure these real people oh, would really boy. enjoy. The most racist, it's a small world bullshit I've ever seen. <laughs> the Owens family is trying to lift the curse per Belvedere's instructions. He says, oh, we need a sacrifice. We need to sacrifice something. And Heather goes, well, don't look at me. I'm not a virgin. This is the same joke she's pulled before because Marsha goes, Heather? And then Heather goes, mom, I'm just no, kidding. No, she's not. No, she's not. <laughs> no, nope. she's not kidding. Not a chance. She's not kidding it's at all. The per- it's the perfect way for a non-virgin to fuck with her parents by saying, oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and Marsha's so judgmental that, of course, it would freak yeah. out. It's hilarious. Heather's the best. So <laughs> what are they wearing? What are they wearing? It's so offensive. It's all kinds. It's all the feathers. It's Native American slash uh, Aztec slash. uh, It's bad. Grassland Hawaiian clothing that makes you also think of Africa, as you mentioned. They're wearing like amulets. I think they have paint on their faces. If if I'm wrong, please say so. Isn't George wearing like a cheese necklace? Yeah. Yeah, they talk about that. Because, okay, so Anatole, Belvedere says, give me those cruise tickets. We're going to burn them in this grill. We're going to burn them inside the house, which is mm-hmm. so unsafe. Here's what is insane about this. More than anything, Anatole enters the house. He reveals that the curse is a 24-hour curse and that it would have ended a long time ago. And then he just turns around and leaves. Um, it's the worst it's, writing in the world. He was never yeah, there for a except reason. Except he's wearing a really awesome outfit. <laughs> Oh no! You can't. No, no. He is. come on, Brad. He is. Come on, Brad. Though. Is he? I just remember it being all it's, black. No, but it's got this like, really cool shirt. Like then it was wacky, but like it's clothes you could wear now. 
I, this is a this is a sudden turnaround it, for you, Brad. I, I didn't realize you would be so excited. No, it's crazy because I didn't notice it until like I'm looking at it right now, and it's like a really cool jacket and a, the the vest maybe maybe not, but the shirt's awesome. Uh, I, I, I'm gonna take your word for it. Yeah. I don't really remember it all that much. I just don't like Anatole or the fact that the writers had him only come in to deliver mm-hmm. this ex- expository line. Yeah, it's like Belvedere it's so got lazy. him to just come in yeah, for this. Yeah, it's the stupidest thing. After oh, Belvedere... but to reference the cheese necklace, Anatole goes, oh, and by the way, you're wearing the cheese backwards. What? What? How oh, is that God. possible? Um, so, yeah, Belvedere, during all this, uh, burns the tickets, or so we think, um, and Spoiler. the family takes all of this as a lesson Belvedere's trying to teach them, maybe. Which is what? Because the, the curse, turns out, was only a 24-hour curse. I'm going to bet there wasn't a curse and it was all kind of, you know, circumstance because curses aren't real. Right. But maybe in Belvedere use a verse where oh, aliens are real. Maybe, who knows? Oh, yeah, but, um, true. Aliens are real. So, yeah. So, Heather says, yeah, you taught us a lesson, blah, blah, blah. Thanks, Mr. Belvedere. And I guess everyone's cool with it. Um, yeah, that's pretty much how What's it ends, the lesson? right? the there, there, is, there is no lesson. There is no he's lesson. Tricking yeah, I mean, Brad, he's just tricking yeah, them. Women There's are no from lesson. Venus, men are from Mars, and curses last 24 hours, then they're done. Magic has he a time limit. He saw fighting over the cruise ship tickets, and he's pretending to teach this lesson of, like, you shouldn't fight over cruise ship tickets. But they, they, they very clearly don't process anything because they're just pissed off at him at the end yeah. of the day. They're like, yeah. Belvedere, Someone... you burned those tickets up, you asshole. Yeah, um, yeah, someone in power will use your weird superstitions against you to get something from you. Uh, because that's that's the lesson I took. Because at the end, when Belvedere is... Well, you're much more perceptive than the show itself. Well, Belvedere <laughs> You worked is, harder than the show. <laughs> yeah, well, he's journaling, and he says, Look, uh, I basically swiped the tickets. They didn't realize my sleight of hand. I've got the tickets now. I'm going to take Grandma Huffnagel for the fucking cruise of her life. Boy, Which, because he's an asshole. <laughs> I will say this. I love that he referenced uh, Grandma Huffnagel. I love that the show constantly kind of builds on its own mythos. Um... And just history. But yeah, Belvedere, that was a dick move. Heather won. The history of Belvedere being, I guess he wants to sort of fuck Grandma Huffnagel. Yeah. Well, she's also He's got helped... like a weird pervy fetish for her. Well, she also helped little Wesley T a few times. I don't remember. <laughs> okay. It's okay. So... It's okay. She's she's in the wings. Um, and that's Belvedere. I want, to talk about, I want to talk about the credits real quick. Of course, I wrote down exactly nice. what they say over the credits. Uh, nobody laughs when John Melman sits down at the piano, but we think you'll have a grand time with him behind the scenes at the Van Cliven Piano Competition. <laughs> and then plugs include this TV movie called Hooper Girl, and then the guy says, the streets aren't safe for a man called Hawk. <laughs> And we get, like, this fucked up teaser for next week because it says, we just get this clip of Kevin going, hey, look at this. Lamar <laughs> Gruberson died. <laughs> yes. Next week on Belvedere. <laughs> I want to know what the fuck Lamar Gooberson well, is. Well, we'll find yeah. out. Oh, yeah. The streets aren't safe for a man called Hawk. <laughs> <laughs> but before that, Hooper Girl. <laughs> oh, amazing. Just amazing. <laughs> the Russians have developed a new bomb, but look at this dolphin. <laughs> it's just <laughs> ridiculous. Okay, so let's sand out some awards, yes. shall we? Who won mm. and who lost this episode? Um, I think Casey lost. She just doesn't realize it yet. Yeah, Casey probably lost. I'm game for that. She's signing. Uh, she's signing a contract with a family that she doesn't need to be anywhere near. <laughs> Her dreams are also very self-deprecating, oddly enough. Yeah. Um, so she's got a lot of things to work through herself. 
you could say Anatole lost because he's presumably still homeless in the pit. But he's being turned away at every door, despite his cool new glamour puss outfit. <laughs> glamour puss outfit. The, the nuclear family of the Owens, you could say they lost because they lost basically everything. Their car got totaled. I think Heather lost. Yeah, I was I, oh, I was yeah. going there too, Brad. In my mind, as Jonathan was saying that, I was like, hey, wait a minute, because Heather got arrested because she got sexually harassed or accosted by a creepy mall security guard. She got her The women tickets. in this show constantly being yeah. assaulted. Yeah, she got her tickets burned, and or supposedly burned, but then stolen from her by a trusted caregiver. Guys, I think, um, I was, I think women lost. Was, yeah, women yeah, lost women in this lost. episode. We can, I, I'm How definitely game for gonna that. How is going to pull that off, by the way? How is he going to pull that off? Easily. What's he going to tell them that? He, what, what's he going to say that he's doing for two weeks? Well, he could have bought a cruise. I mean, and they, they would be fine with it. She's like, hey, why didn't you get me a cruise ticket? They'll never buy it. They'll never no. buy it. Nah, I mean, Belle will find it. Is that Grandma Hustle? So, yeah, women lost. Women lost. Women lost. Belvedere. Yeah, clearly he's going yeah. on a cruise. He's escaping, if only for a moment. And God, I wish I. Could. If only we all could find those little oh. moments of escape. <laughs> That's why I turned to opium. <laughs> in those times of need. Also, Belvedere got the whole Owens family to dress up in those god-awful racist costumes. Um, Do you think that was Belvedere's commentary on their white bread ignorance? Goodness. Do you think he was fucking with them by creating those outfits and sort of talking about how they don't have any cultural leanings? Jonathan... Maybe that was Belvedere being, being, um, being canny. The way that these writers masterfully craft Belvedere, I would not be surprised. I would not be surprised. I mean, Alex finds hidden meanings. Nice. <laughs> hidden? Uh, text, subtext, high text, hey, who, who knows? Hey, 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 okay, hey, so hey. Belvedere won, women lost, who's best dressed, who's worst right. dressed? Anatole is best dressed in his last uh, outfit? It's good. It's a damn good outfit. I would wear it. Um, but... I, I, Casey, 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 Casey. In what the Casey. Cinderella outfit or what, or the red cocktail dress? Uh, I'm gonna say not the red cocktail dress, just because of her hair. I know hair is Hair's not a fucking not part, part of it. Part of it. I, no. I, I mean, I'll go either one. So I'm fine with saying Cinderella outfit. But how about Dream fine, Casey Cinderella. is best dressed? Yeah, Cinderella, Dream Casey, good, go. Great. Uh, worst dressed. I I might say I might say Anatole in his alphabet sweater. I may say Heather in her Dolly Parton jeans. I I'm I, gonna say Marsha in her windsuit because not only is it hideous in its own right, but it also makes a reappearance in the dream. Mm-hmm. It was so bad that someone subconscious decided to pull it out of their mind and make it part of a dream. There's also the racist costumes. What, out, what outfit was that bad? Oh, the racist Ooh, costumes. The racist what costumes. outfit was that bad that it appeared in a dream, Alex? Oh, Heather's out. I mean, Marcia. not Heather. Uh, Marsha's outfit. Oh, sure, sure, sure. I actually do want to vote for the racist hex costumes. Yeah, yeah okay. I, I'm totally game for that. I get that it's supposed to be funny, but at the same time, I think we can judge it at the, uh, as well. There you go. Racism is the worst dressed. Always. Dun, dun, dun. Nice. We did it. We, we did, did it. it. Three hours and 38 it's minutes. It's a marathon episode. Yes. Guys, thank you so much for listening to Ramjack. Um, I am very glad that Brad and Jonathan joined me today. Just talking, chatting about history and life. Guys, if you want to get in contact with us, there's many ways you can do that. Brad, can you tell them the phone number? Yes, you can call us 206-339-5894. Um, find us on Facebook. Facebook group is awesome. A lot of fun stuff going on there. Yes, you can also um, email us, ramjackpodcast at gmail.com. We're on Twitter, at ramjackpodcast. Go to the website and the wiki. It's a good time. Oh, yeah. 
Um, Jonathan, you are on a podcast of your own. Yes, I do. It's the How Rude podcast. It's How Rude, the Full House podcast, except no imitations or substitutes. If you look and you find that there are other Full House podcasts, do me a favor. Give them a one-star rating. Give ours five. How Rude. That's the only Full House podcast you want to listen to at all. Truth. How Rude. That's it. (laughs) And guys, um, you know, we're coming up on episode 200. I think there's uh, one important lesson we've all learned today, and that's... The streets aren't safe. Indigo skies and galaxies reach far and wide. Look to the boy with stars shining in his eyes. Crystal blue streams, he's running, catching fireflies, living the dream, and I'm all so proud he's mine. Ah, 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 then I realize I'm thinking about a brand new smile. There was a time when stars kept falling, all the night sky was black. From deep inside, a smile was calling me, and now there's no turning back. Silvery moon. And midnight rides Humming a tune Soft mist falling from my eyes Ah, 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 ah Then I realize I'm thinking about a brand new smile I'm thinking about a brand new song.